You are now listening to Out of the Blank. blank, blank. Welcome to an episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. I'm here with the man Stevie J. Anybody knows from the podcast that went up last night, that really wasn't an episode. It was kind of a preview of what Magellan and Stevie J are like after a good old bingo night at Whiskers. After a night of working hard of making people laugh and compete against each other and scream at each other over a simple game of bingo. It's all elderly people. It's not all elderly people. That's why I like doing bingo at bars when we do bingo because it's a wide variety of, since it's a restaurant and a bar, you've got families that have kids that are young kids that are playing with young parents too. I'm talking parents that are like 30s, you know, late 30s. And then you do have those old people as well that are there. But it's a very wide variety of anywhere from five years old to over 50 years old. You know, it's in everywhere in between. You guys give out prizes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do uh, prizes different uh, are different each each restaurant that we do it at. Most restaurants do, excuse me, that uh, cream soda's kicking in. Um, it's good though, right? It is very good. Um the prizes, yeah, they're different each place. So most places give out gift cards and stuff like that. Whiskers is kind of cool because they got different car, different gift certificates worth food. So like, it'll be a half pound of steamed shrimp or a brownie sundae. Oh shit! Yeah, and then the last two rounds are worth money. So wait a minute. You guys don't offer the prizes, the restaurant. The restaurant always, yeah. Is in okay, so of the prizes. it really depends on the location you're going to. So, like, if yeah. you went to the Green Turtle, you get, like, a thing for turtle crab, bucks or crab something. cakes or something. Yeah. yeah, or, like, they have, yeah, they have, like, green, they have turtle bucks at Green Turtle, I've heard before. So, so besides yeah. knowing that you're a DJ and do all this kind of stuff at night, is that DJ, would you say? So, I always, I always joke with people that you can't really call me a DJ, I'm more of an MC. Because DJs are very good at the music side of things and being able to take music and correlate it to whatever crowd's in front of them. And also they know how to work all that equipment and all the sound equipment that they have and all that stuff. Me, I simply just know how to turn on my microphone, go over to the board and turn on my microphone, and talk into that microphone. Okay. <laughs> so I'm more, I, I can't engage with crowd as far as, yeah, as far as music I can't engage with crowds, I have to do it with my words. So that's why I always say I, I can't, to call me a DJ is kind of an insult I feel like to to actual DJs who are good at their good at their uh, their job and everything else like that. Everyone's got a little outlet. Like um, if you know Tyler Horton, um, he uh, is a very good announcer, broadcaster. He's been on the podcast, but he was explaining how his dad was um, is is a writer. Like wrote a bunch of novels and a bunch of like best uh, New York best time sellers. I never understood that because it feels like every book out there is a New York's number one bestseller. Apparently, from the label on it, but he just he, like every movie that comes out is the number one movie of that year. Uh, yeah, yeah, the number one minute. movie of the year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's funny because he was explaining how his dad can't like won't talk that much, but then his, when his dad writes books, he it seems like once he puts the pen or the pencil to the paper, it's where all his words get expressed out. Much like a DJ that some aren't very good at talking. Like when you hear an interview with Elon Musk or someone like that, that's really, really, really freaking smart, and then they don't seem like they're very intelligent during the interview but you know they are yeah it's like some people express their words through whatever they're really good at like so i saw elon musk on uh on the joe rogan podcast and he got so much crap for that a, podcast yeah. 
he even everyone's like Elon Musk is gonna change the future of the world. I've I've said this multiple times. He's gonna do with money having fun. Yeah. No, you don't understand. <laughs> he's, like, he's, he's not he's changing smart. the world. He's changing LA. He's yeah. He's admitted to that. He said I'm only doing it where I live. He's like I, I I'm inventing shit that's gonna benefit my life or improve my life. He goes, but if it ends up selling a lot to everybody, then there you go. And like goes to that. I actually there's two things I really wanted to talk about. So before we even get down into this. Um, professionally, what do you do? Uh, I've got a bunch of different things. So, I mean, uh, during the day, Monday through Friday, I actually work for a private nonprofit where I work with adults with disabilities and I help place them with jobs. Mm. You help. Yeah, that threw you off. <laughs> that, threw you, that threw you a curveball, like didn't it? Yeah. Pistol whipping a blind kid. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, well, so you help adults get jobs. Yeah. Not necessarily the best joke you just made for my job that I just said. What, pistol whipping blind kids? <laughs> I mean, get you paid. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. So, uh, but no, yeah, I, um, yeah, so my job basically is I, I meet with the client and I figure out what kind of job they're looking for. And then after I find out what kind of job they're looking for, I go out and I talk to different business owners and different managers and stuff like that and try and place them with the job. Then I help them through the interview process. Is it and unfortunate people that are you're helping or is it like just people that are just having a hard hard time getting a job it's it's uh it's i mean it's anywhere most of my clients are anywhere from uh they have autism to down syndrome yeah uh stuff like that so okay on the question of that this is not me being a jerk or anything but have you noticed that there's a lot of autistic people that work at grocery stores uh yes and i've also noticed that through my through my job and everything like that is that uh, grocery stores open grocery to... stores are a lot are a lot of grocery stores are more willing to hire somebody with disabilities now is that because they're giving them the benefit of the doubt of the situation that they've been placed in because obviously you know mental retardation or something like that is terrible and especially how doctors used to classify it on your birth certificate as being a mongoloid idiot did you know that oh yeah we had to watch we had when I first started the job we watched videos of like just how different places used to be different um basically asylums like asylums used to be where you know they're trying to bring back back mental institutions did you know that uh, hopefully they're. I mean, they're probably going to be a little bit better than. Oh yeah, it's not going to be, be like, more like a group. It's home. not going to be like you're going to shove you on an island. But see that that sucks because what they clarify is mental disorders. I don't agree with. I'm a big person into psychology, so what they classify as mental disorders stem from bipolar, something very very serious, to gender dysmorphia, which is like that's still serious with someone that's not feeling like they're in the proper skin. But ADHD is considered a mental illness in a way, and people look at it like if you classify anything as mental illness the first thing I think of is straps someone's getting strapped down to a table there's bars on the window and they're not allowed to play with sharp objects and you don't want to have them near anything that can set something on fire you just want to have them in a room full of pillows most places aren't like that anymore <laughs> but when you think of asylum or something like that, it's usually the first thing my mind comes to is something like no, that absolutely. Off, off of a movie. How they used to be. But when they classify mental disorders, having ADHD, I don't see it as a mental disorder. I think of it as a mental handicap. But in a way, it has hindered me from you know sitting in a proper environment and being able to learn. Like Either if it's sharpening the pencil 50 times in, in five minutes or something like that to where I'm pissing off all the other students or... Being able to talk and being able to get a bunch of shit done in a way. Yeah. I, I mean, the fact of not only sleeping like only three hours a day or something, but I mean, that sucks. But at the same time, I get a lot of shit done. Like I, I can film eight podcasts, film six podcasts in a day if anybody's willing. So it's like, you know, it's 
it brings good out different personality traits in people that are really really good now there are manic depression and stuff like that like a lot with the kyle hines story the guy that jumped off the golden gate bridge and lived you know there are people that um get it genetically and then they they develop it through life like childhood imprinting so you got to focus on that but when it comes to mental like retardation in a way that's like getting the shitty roll of the dice right off the bat especially people that are born with it and when you're looking at grocery stores do you think they're hiring them because um just the fact of like they feel bad or do you feel like they're trying to give them an opportunity or do you feel like they're just doing it because they can give them the shitty part of the job that no one wants to do because i see those kids out at food line and they're not there you know you can tell they're slow and they're out there in the freezing ass cold when it's snowing out like and you can tell the other people are inside comfortable and they're basically ordering to go back out there and you know get all the shit that they don't feel like doing or they would have to do if that person wasn't there well i mean i've gotten i've i've met people that you know they're they're not only doing those those jobs but they're also back working behind the deli counter and everything else like that so they're not just hiring for those jobs necessarily that people wouldn't want to do because i've seen people like i said back behind the deli counter being able you know they were they were slicing the meats and the hams and the and the cheeses and stuff like that and taking orders and all that jazz so it's just every aspect and it's also a lot of these a lot of these jobs like especially with my job when i get somebody with my company that i work for when we get somebody hired we're not getting them hired for a job that they don't want to do you want to make sure that we they have career goals well most of them probably feel um really grateful that they're getting a job in, in the first place right. someone's actually taking the time to do that because like a lot when with teachers they're getting a class of like 30 kids and to give each individual one of them time to work and you know be able to function especially when you when there's the chance you have a mentally challenged person in your classroom that adds a whole another curveball to the mix yeah. and whether a teacher can step above that and take the time to really do that but my biggest fear in life is having a child with mental um that's mentally challenged not because i feel bad about that it's just i feel like i wouldn't be able to handle it i actually read a really good book that i think you might be interested in it's called cruise control the reason i read it was it's a hundred page book it's not long at all it's pretty simple but it, it, i can um, get through a hundred page book <laughs> there's I, i've explained it before on the podcast so to sum it up there's two there's a brother there's two brothers one has all the abilities of high school talent, like basketball star, everything. He's number one popular kid in school, but he's got really bad anger issues. And his brother is the complete opposite. His brother is in a wheelchair, mentally challenged, doesn't like makes noises, drools on himself, craps himself, does all the stuff, and kids make fun of him and pick on him. But his older brother gets offended and you know beats people up. When, when stuff happens well the book cruise control it takes place from the uh basketball player stars the one who's got all the talent seems like he got both their skills and then there's another one called out of my mind or inside my head or something where it's from the brother's perspective and the brother can actually think and talk and like he's like i wish i could just actually people could understand that i could hear them and i'm not just not here and understanding in a wheelchair but it's a whole perspective that makes you look at mental like mental retardation or something like that in a way where it's like wraps your brain around it like it's like holy crap it's like imagine that it's the same thing i i brought up before if someone's in a coma and you feel like they have an itch on their foot and they're sitting there inside their own head like, can someone scratch my fucking foot? It's like, yeah, you know, you get that feeling like, all right, I got you, bro, and you help them out. It's like, 
it makes you think like I feel like a lot of people that don't understand gender dysmorphia or mental retardation or they make fun of them if they're just not educated to the idea of what that is and the fact that you can take your time out of your day to help people like this and not just mentally challenged people but other people that are less fortunate don't have a job or don't have something like that um it, it's it's amazing that you take the time to really do that I didn't see that is you doing that? I looked at you more as a radio. I honestly thought you worked for the radio station. Yeah, I used to work for the radio station, but then when I started this, when I started that job, it was kind of there was a lot going on all at the same time, and I couldn't really have my fingers in every every little puddle that every I wanted orifice. to. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But so, it's it's yeah. crazy. So does that is that your passion? Is that something you want to pursue down the road? Because you said that was one job. So what's your other yeah. one? So yeah, I do that. I do that during the day, Monday through Friday. Um, my passion really is though entertainment. My, I just, I love having a microphone in front of me at all times. I like doing weddings, events, uh, like when you've had Magellan on here in the past recently, yeah. uh, him and I are, you know, that's my business partner right there. So he, he does all the DJing and stuff like that. And then I do all the talking for weddings and like we have uh, an event coming up end of April. That's the Delmarva Outdoor Expo and it's at the uh, Delaware State Fairgrounds and it's just a huge hunting fishing expo but Magellan's playing music the whole time and I'm on a microphone walking through the crowds and everything like that getting people pumped up getting people to do stuff for free prizes you're a hype man and like yeah and just you know getting people talking providing information this is going on on this stage this is going on on this stage make sure you stay tuned um so any excuse to really talk into a microphone you know we've got the bingo three days a week at three different bars now you don't feel like you want to stay in the radio and follow that aspect where you can use your voice on a larger scale? I like being my own boss. That's a good... Yeah, I like that too, but I'm never... In, I like being my own boss. Like, like right here, right here, you've got a podcast. Um, there's not somebody here who says, all right... For, your out of, for, this, for this episode, this is what you're not allowed to talk about. Yeah, I don't like that. It's the main reason I don't want... Like, some, someone's like, why don't you sponsor or why don't you change your podcast? Like... You know, I've gotten good criticism on my podcast. Why don't you cut them down? Why don't you, you know, shorten them up and get to the sweet points? I'm like, no. I like putting the full-length conversation on there because I want, I'm want. i not going to cut out the coughing. I'm not going to cut out the vo voice clears. I'm not going to cut out the butt ums. I don't care. It's like it's the real The burps from the cream soda. Yeah, it, the burps from the cream soda. It's a real conversation. It's real having. The only time I'll ever stop or edit something is if I pause it so you can go take a piss because sometimes these things last for a while yeah. and then the next thing I know I'm sitting here shaking my leg up and down like, all right, we might need to end it so I can get up and go to the bathroom. Yeah. But it's like when we're having such a good vibe and we're getting into the conversation like I don't really I, I have my phone on silent I, I don't like to g get in that because it disconnects me from our conversation now when I've given this criticism people tell me to cut it down it's cutting out the realness of it it's yes there's a point to editing some things if you know if someone says something can you please edit this out I understand that 100% I'll be more than happy to take the time to go back but after like the first two three I think it was like once I got to the um, one with Scott Glorioso, I don't know if you know Scott, but Not it's like, a bell. It, it's um it's like a we had a three hour podcast. I cut it down to like two and a half hours or something, but it was ridiculous sitting there like editing. I was editing out all the ums, all the like everything perfect, and then like halfway through the thing, you can tell where the ums start coming in because I literally said 
fuck it. I was this is before I had the mobile recorder. I had the um I was using my iPhone. I was using lapel mics that hook to you. So I'm using I'm editing all on my um phone too. So I'm sitting there dragging, dropping, cutting, dragging, dropping, splitting, cutting. Oh my god, it was so annoying. And Magellan knows because he edits yeah and does all that stuff too. But it's like you're sitting there you're happy when the work's done and it sounds good and stuff but it's like I can still hear where I edited it out I can hear where there was something that like I had to cut because the words wouldn't match up properly. other people might not notice but you do yeah it's a, it's a lot when a musician messes up when they're playing an instrument like like when I when I played on the radio and like everyone could tell when they messed up on their part like oh I messed up here and like I didn't even notice I just heard the song like people don't hear it yeah. but you do exactly and um it's crazy because if I understand where you're coming from, where you want to be your boss, because if someone tried to control this in a certain way, like it's not going to be me. It's not going to be like to me. This podcast, even though it's not very big, is it's it's my it's my image in a way. It's a way I can reflect myself out into the world, and at the same time, I can reflect the inspiring stories. Everyone's got an experience that they can share, so it's like I want to get those out there, whether you think your life's interesting or not. Exactly. No, and like as far as being my own boss and everything like that, it's just it makes life easier and it makes your creative outlet can ex- you can explore more of your creativity and stuff like that if you, you have somebody that's net, not yeah. yeah that's not censoring you so to speak. It's like when it comes to we just started this the new I, you and Magellan talked about it briefly uh, the new comedy show that we have at Mia Fratello's. It's all improv and everything like that. Uh, see, I'm. I I'm the I'm the one who brought everybody together for it and started planning out how the different skit games and stuff like that that we're going to do and I did the uh, I did the uh, the stand up the very first night that we opened on opening night and that was my first time ever actually doing my own stand up and writing my own material and stuff like that and I had a blast doing it so I thought Magellan was telling me it was like improv comedy it is so what we do is but you said you wrote your own stand up yeah so we start off with a with like an 8 minute it start opens the show with like an 8 minute session of stand up and then the rest of the show is all improv. It's just kind of like an opener, something to get you know get the audience warmed up, get the audience laughing and stuff like Who's that. Who's your comedic so, influences? Um, ah, I mean, there's a there's a whole bunch just because like recently, recently so far, um, recently Trevor Noah. Are you familiar with Trevor yes. Noah at all? So I like him just because he didn't necessarily come from a. Uh, very funny place. Yeah. You know, when he was when he was in South Africa and he was going through and, you know, he was going, he was there when it was a very racist time. And when he was trying to be a comedian, you know, people were, people were putting him down, putting him down, putting him down. But he took a not so funny situation and morphed it into an actual funny situation, which is something that I have been trying to take note on and I've been re- listening to different comedians and stuff like that and trying to listen to the different topics that they talk about. And I'm like, okay, this is a topic that's covered a lot. I don't want to cover that. This is a topic that's covered a lot by different comedians. I don't want to cover that. So like, my first stand-up that I ever wrote was actually all about me being adopted because you were I, was, adopted? I was adopted at a very young age, three. So young enough that I don't even remember anything about it. But how have you ever heard a stand-up comedian talk about being adopted? No, not really. No. So that's why I was like, all right, so this is what my first material has to be about. And it's taking something that when people hear, they're like, oh, that's not funny. 
No, there is plenty of funny shit about being adopted. You know, well, you could have, I was, you know, I talked about having a conversation about sunshine, rainbows, and unicorn shit and glitter. But the moment you tell somebody you're adopted, they, their attitude just switched. Your face just did it too. As soon as I said I was adopted, well, no, was, your face switched. Your face was, oh. Well, no, it wasn't even oh, a sad were, aspect. It you was, were adopted. We and did it. Yeah, your well, people, did, your people do that. You. We got you. No, I'm kidding. People. But, <laughs> but it's, it's, it, you got, well, you got to think, see, I'm glad you laughed that I said that because a lot of people would take that to offense and think, consider that bullying. No. I'm amongst, I'm a comedy person too. I have major influences. Sam Kinison, Richard Pryor, Joe Rogan, Joey Diaz, all these types of comedians. Like, I'm old school classic comedy when it comes to, like, listening to this. I don't know if you know um, Sam Kinison's story. Sam, um, yes. Well, you know how he started in comedy and how he became the guy we know as Sam Kinison. His brother actually wrote a book on it. It's called My Brother Sam, the book. And his brother Bill wrote, it was talking about how when he was eight years old, Sam Kinison got hit by a car. And immediately after that, the kid went from being a straight, like, like smart bookworm type guy to this, this guy that was like, we're going to drink, we're going to drive, we're going to do it all night. Like that type of guy. He turned into this dude. So it was a, took a car accident to get him to that point. It was a life-changing moment that kind of just... Now, the reason why I laugh that I'm glad you laughed at when I said that thing about you know being adopted, your parents didn't love you. That's, it, it's a joke, but some people out there would, if you said that, they'd be like, how could you say it and get immediately take offense to it? But when you're amongst comedians, you understand the ramblings of, you know, when you're when you're joking with each other. There's, there's a difference. There's a point you know when to take it and sometimes like you know how to take it like as I guess you would say but the reason my face lit up when I said you're adopted it wasn't that I felt bad was that the fact that that's a whole thing in a podcast where we can go into in this whole entire <laughs> podcast. I want to hear that story about being adopted. But real, but back to the stand-up of being adopted and, the, and being able to joke about it. I mean, my opening line for the entire thing is, my dad sat me down and said, one man's trash is another man's treasure. And I said, dad, that's a terrible way to tell me I'm adopted. Is that really you know? what he said to you? No, that's not that's at all a, what he said to me. No, but that's just, you know... And, um, and like growing up, growing up, my little brother, uh, he didn't know for the majority, like for the first part of his life that I was adopted. And then one day, like through conversation, stuff like that, my little brother found out that I was adopted. And so then it got to a point where he was young, we would get into an argument in the house and that's the, that's when he got pissed off at me. That's what he would throw at me. He'd be like, yeah, well you were adopted. But my response was always the same when I, when I said it back to him, I said, yeah, mom and dad spent money to get me and you were a fucking accident. Yeah. <laughs> like, right? Like, that's not an insult, man. <laughs> they wanted me. Yeah, like, they, they spent money to out, have yeah, me be a part of this family. Of you were an oops baby. Like... <laughs> not Alabama birth control, as Theo Vaughn would say. But yeah. That's... See, but that's, that's, that's crazy, though, because, like... We understand, like, even though he's he did that to you and he, he would joke around with you and that would be his thing to go towards. Do you ever, uh, if I had to give you, do you know who your parents, real parents were? Yeah, I grew up knowing my biological mother. She came to all my birthday parties and everything like that. I she grew just up, couldn't, she just I grew up, with, yeah, she was just in a, you know, she was in a, yeah, different, in a different place. part in her, yeah, time in her life that she couldn't really necessarily have it. Um, but yeah, she grew up coming to all my birthday parties, every, uh, all my birthday parties growing up. I have an older, biological older sister that I was close to growing so up. So she was, they were still influenced yeah. on your life, because a lot of times when a parent gives a kid up, they don't... Yeah, it was a very, very open adoption. Okay, so like, was it like a friend thing, like the mom had the kid? My biological, my, my biological grandmother was going to nursing school with my aunt. Okay. 
And my biological grandmother brought it up, like, hey, you know, we might be putting our child up for adopt, or my daughter's putting her child up for adoption. Well, my mo- my mom had already adopted my one of my older sisters, so my aunt was like, oh, well, my sister has already adopted a child. Let me talk to her. How many kids did your mom put up for right. adoption? So my, or how many kids did my mom adopt? Your biological mom. My bi- just me. And you said you had an older sister. I was yeah. Adopted. Yeah, oh, but she was your... older. Yeah, but she was older. So no, no, no. That was a different family. Different, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like my my family that I my my family um, is the one that I grew up in, grew up with, and I have an oldest, my oldest sister, who was uh, who was not adopted. Then I have a sister who was younger than her that was adopted, but is not biologically related to me. Then I was adopted, and then my youngest brother was not adopted. So the two middle children were both adopted. But we're not biologically related. We were just both coincidentally both adopted. Yeah. And so I have the oldest sister and the youngest brother who were both blonde hair, blue eyes, perfect Aryan children. Damn. Blonde hair, blue eyes, so Hitler's perfect image. Exactly. Perfect Aryan children. I have a couple friends that are like that, and they're, they're uh, either they're German. So I was like, you guys are Hitler's perfect image, and I'm like the complete opposite because <laughs> I'm being a Jew. and. Then... But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, people, people always, uh, like, like, you know, as soon as you said it, like, there's a whole, there's a whole podcast in itself that we could talk about. But in actuality, I've told you everything there is to know now that like, you know, like as far as everything that there is to he know about the it, story. there's, but see, there's everything that there you is think to know. that sparked your inspiration for, uh, like the person you've turned into today. Cause a lot of, no. People, well, no, a lot, no, a lot of people don't understand the life the, like we we go back to childhood imprinting and all this stuff through psychology about like how your genetics are. There are stuff that's gonna make you up for your genetics. There's all this stuff that's gonna make them. But you know you're gonna have, um, you know I've known some of my friends that are adopted. They have, um, like tastes from their like that are the same like stuff that they like that's the same as their, um, adopted parents. And then they have stuff that's the same as their biological parents. And you've adopted traits from. Probably both sides of the spectrum, just being around culturally influenced, environmentally influenced by them, that goes on to your thing. But what makes great comedians is, is somebody that has a, a type of you know thing like this, something that has this type of thing. Whether they have a hard past, like Joey Diaz, who you know didn't know his or his dad was a deadbeat and you know left his mom, and then his mom worked at a bar late at night, and he would be little watching. Like he one time paid his uh, babysitter when he was uh, eleven years old to give him a blowjob, gave him a bag, gave her a bag of quarters or something, and she came in and blew on his tummy and then took his money and left. And then he literally was like, "I'm gonna kill her, kill her," and like do all this stuff. And he's from New Jersey, and he's um like he's I forgot what he he's Cuban. So he's got that anger in his blood, but he like right. his mom had to come down and freaking put him like talk to him like, hey man, you can't kill your babysitter. And he didn't talk to his babysitter for a year after that, but his mom paid him the money for the blowjob. Like you're 12 years old and you're asking for a blowjob from a, but it's like that type of stuff that sparks these funny moments. And it's like this dude had so much stuff. He'd been to prison. He did selling cocaine all the time, doing heroin and all this stuff. And he's literally just telling you about his life, and you're laughing at it. Like, oh my god! Like, he's there's some comedians that get off by telling you stories. There's some comedians that create wonderful stand-up. You know, it depends on what outlet and how you want to be marketed as. Do you want to be known as the story guy? Do you want to be known as the guy that uh, that was the adopted comedian? Do you want to be known as the Hispanic comedian? Like, it's all these different outlets. So. so yeah, and like I think I think that the whole the whole concept of being adopted was just an easy uh, easy first session for me. I wouldn't necessarily want to be like I wouldn't want 
if I had a bunch of Netflix specials and they were all my my Netflix specials that I that I was starring in. I wouldn't want the one uh, about me be, about me being adopted to be the most popular one out of all of them. The reason being, I mean, I was adopted when I was three years old. The impact that being adopted had on my had on my life and everything much. like that. It's not really that big of an impact. And the family that I was adopted into, upper middle class white good Christian family. You like you know, it's like it's like there's there's really not yeah, there's not really any negatives to it, and it does you know as far as the um as far as influencing me with my life and everything like that goes, all of my influence are from you know the parents that raised me. My dad is my dad is a great salesman. He's worked for the same company forever. So that's probably where your and voice comes from. I got to, and it's funny though because he is he's a quiet man around the house. But he can. But sleep. then I go out I go out into the public and it's like oh. You're Dennis's son. Oh, you're Dennis. I know Dennis. Could, oh, you're Dennis's son. He could sell a ketchup popsicle to a woman wearing white gloves. He can sell ice to an Eskimo. He can show. He can sell uh, shoes to a double amputee. Double amputee. Shoes to a double. Am- yeah, shoes to a double amputee. <laughs> Depends on where he's got his. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I guess that meant. Yeah, so that one didn't work. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, and work on I, your stand up. So a I more. I um I. You know, I actually, a lot of my jobs and stuff like that have all been sales jobs. And that's just because, you know, I've, I realized that through being an outside sales specifically that my dad does, uh, how many people in the community knew who he was. And I liked that. I was like, man, when I go out, everybody knows who my dad is. I just thought he was this quiet guy at home. So I was like, I need to get into this. And I got into sales. So and was that kind of getting your foot in the door by using his name in a way? Not even, no, because the different I was doing a different type of sales. Like he sells he works for American Cedar and Millwork. He he sells like windows. Well, like you were like, Hey, you know my dad or something like that. You did did you do anything like that? Because a lot of people are like, Why don't you use your parents' name, get your podcast going or get like why don't you introduce yourself as this is this as Skip's kid or Marlo's kid? It's like I don't want to do that because I want to make a name for myself. Now, they're like, oh, well, why don't you use it? It's not bad to get your foot in the door with places. I'm like, with some things, sure, but I don't want to do it if I don't have to do it. Like, yeah. if I don't have to be like, you know, talk through you, be like, hey, you know my mom at the radio station, is there any way you would be able to do my podcast? And I'd be like, yeah, sure. I mean, you've met me before, but, yeah. you know, we've never had an actual time to sit down and shoot the shit. So it's like... Starting that up is easy. Right. Doing it, using it that way, okay. But going out and like, if my dad was freaking Eddie Van Halen or something like that, I wouldn't go and be like, hey, here's a, you know, I'm I'm his kid, you know, just to get a free meal or something. Even though I could probably use one of my parents' names around town and get a discount or somewhere, I don't want that. I don't want to be looked at that. I want to be able to make my own voice in the world. I hope the podcast takes off. Like I don't spread it, try and spread it a whole bunch over social media. If you had fun on the podcast, share it, do whatever you want. You know, say, Hey, I was on this podcast. Get people to check it out. Get me more interviews is my, is my thing. Right. I would like it to be popular, but it's like, if you have friends that might want to do this, if you have people that you know would be interesting or just that you would know would want to do a podcast, let me know. I'm down to interview them even if I don't know them. Exactly. Cause honestly, like, I mean, I, I know you a little bit better from last night and you know stuff like that where we shot the shit, but it's not hard to communicate with me. It's not. It's definitely not hard to communicate with you. Like it's it's easy. Like it's. I just I, I'm just interested in like a, it's a conversation, man. Like I'm, you can tell, ask me things. I can ask you things. Whatever you want to go after. I'm just interested in hearing everybody's story. 
No, I, I agree. And I mean, it's like, as far as using your parents' name and everything, that's kind of like Ellie King. You know, the singer Ellie King. X's and O's, mm-hmm. that song. Her father is Rob Schneider. What? But her name is Ellie King. Mm-hmm. Because she's established, she established her own name. Yeah. She didn't want to be, in, mm-hmm. you know, she didn't want to have you know, that that stigma of being Rob Schneider's daughter. My dad so. has my name, and um, but everyone calls him Skip Dixon. And no one understands. Like, yeah, he's got the same exact name. Nobody calls him. Nobody calls him Robert. Nobody calls him Robbie. Nobody calls him any of that. It, you can't. Like my my his mom doesn't even call him that. Calls him Skip. Yeah. He doesn't respond to anything else. That's just the name he goes by. He made a DJ name that. Went out there and bam, it's like Will Smith. When they asked him when, before he was on The Fresh Prince, they said, what do you want your name to be on the show? Because whatever, and he's like, um, and he was thinking of all these like weird nicknames, like, because back then he was a rapper, DJ Jazzy Jeff and The Fresh Prince, like starting, that was kind of starting up. But he was like, what, what do you want to be called when you're on the show? Like, what do, you, what do you want your name to be? And he's like, oh, and said something. And some guy's like, why don't you just use your real name? Because it's probably going, people are going to call you that for the rest of your days. He's like, okay, so you just use Will Smith. And it worked perfect. Because, you know, if you would have watched The Fresh Prince and then that, you wouldn't have known Will Smith as Will Smith. You would have known him as something completely different. You yeah. would have called him something completely different. It would have been completely confusing. So it's like... However, you want to find your own outlet, whether it's with TV, whether it's with performing. When you're dealing with comedy, you got to find your own, um, like, really just influence. Like, like I said, if you want to go towards the adoption angle, you can do that. But how far can you run that down the track? Exactly. There's you know only I mean? so much. And like I said, because I was adopted at such a young age, uh, I mean, I covered, I covered about eight minutes, and eight minutes, eight to ten minutes on being adopted, and that's probably. All about. I probably just about. I milked. I milked that cow about as much as I possibly could have milked it in that eight minutes. I mean, and it was a stretch. It was. There's. You know. Well, not only when you film a special, you got to work on the next one, being telling different jokes and stuff like that. There was a new. There's a new special on Netflix right now. The guy from Hangover, Ken Jong, or oh, Doctor. Doctor, Doctor Ken. Ken. You know, he's an. A, he yeah, is an, he's actual an actual doctor. doctor. Yeah. Um, well, his wife's a doctor too. Well, during his Netflix special, I was watching last night. His last. His wife's last name is Ho. Like hoe, yeah. and he cracks a joke on it, and he goes, "Yeah, my last." He goes, "My wife's a hoe," and then like he's saying all this stuff like as a joke, but it it focused more on the Asian stigma of how there's not that many popular Asian people out there. Right. And some girl in the front of the crowd goes, "My last name's Ho." He goes, "Are you fucking kidding me? Your last name's Ho. My wife's a hoe. You're a hoe." And then some girl's laughing over the table goes, "What's your fucking last name?" And she goes, "I'm from Singapore, and my last name's Ho." He goes, "I'm surrounded by fucking hoes." That's his special. Yeah. And that was the random thing that happened. He goes, is somebody messing with me? He tells them that. Like, I don't know special, but that type of thing just boosted his special, even though it was a 100% accident. You'll have moments like that that'll make something great. I mean, yeah, you got to craft and sit there and make a bit. And sometimes when you're making a bit, you got to sit there and work and work on it. Right when you think it's perfect, you go and tell it. And then a minute later, you'll think of something that... Is a thousand times better. You could have added to it. Yeah, and see, like I'm gonna continue. I'm gonna continue writing, uh, writing, and trying to think of new bits and stuff like that. But this is why I like the fact that the show that we're doing every other Friday is an improv show because one thing that I love that for comedians to do is they have their bits and they have, you know, they have their, you know, it's almost kind of like kind of scripted out of what they're going to be. Excuse me. No problem. That entire bit about. Yep, the cream soda. Um, but the audience interaction side of things oh yeah for like real. to be able to be able to have your entire bit planned and scheduled out and all right hold on 
Pause. All that gets thrown out the window, and you pause. Gotta, you gotta go I'm going to. Somebody just did something, and I'm going to make this fucking hilarious. Yeah. And being able to do that right off the whim is what makes why someone, doing the improv show is going to come in handy for me. That's developing what made Whose Line is anyway a very very good show. I've seen all the seasons to it. Like those guys are pulling bits out of not even bits, but they have a set line of jokes that they're going to do. But like I said, how this podcast is structured for the first two minutes, asking you what you do, and the rest of it's just random random tangents or conversations we dive into or afterwards we're like what the hell do we even talk about i remember we talked about this but well i don't know where i went from there but when you're looking at like doing all this improv type stuff like a lot that happens to do with comedy specials and um just things like that like when you're talking about being able to have a whole bit and then pause and being able to interact with your audience it's something family guy does family guy uses that like family guy is not going to be relevant um, when the the new episodes stop coming out, when it becomes like if you watch the very first episode of Family Guy, we we can get the jokes because we understand the references they're making when they talk about Ben Stiller having giant ears and then he starts flying like Dumbo with his ears. That we can understand because we know Ben Stiller. Right. But twenty years from now, when Ben Stiller's not acting anymore, doing whatever, and the kids coming up are going to hear that like what? Like what the hell is this? It's not like, relevant. Me anymore. watching Simpsons now, I have to kind of like you know read into what I'm doing as well because I don't understand where this whole comedy it was effectual for that time area yeah or time era same thing with family guy same thing with comedy comedies like if you watch a lot of older comedy specials it, like with Tim Allen or something he's bringing up jokes from like what you would get as a kid or something yeah. that I'm trying to understand and I have to kind of do more research on but I think the one joke that will never die is when you when Theo Vaughn either talks about Denny's being so like the tables are so sticky you get stuck when you sit down that's 100% true Denny's has not changed that in probably all the years they've been an establishment but Lavelle Crawford you know who he is no okay he is the funniest guy I've seen that makes relatable experiences compared to I realized growing up I had a black mom and the reason why I say that is because he talks about the briefing your mom gives you before you go into the grocery store. Like, don't look at shit. Don't buy shit. And he goes, I swear to God, if the back of that or if the shopping cart hits the back of my heel, I'm going to chop you. Two chops to the throat. That shit had me dying because I remember that I could connect to that 100%. My mom saying that I always used to hit the back of her heel. I had a little kid, my little cousin, do it to me the other day in the grocery store. And I you want like, to turn around and chop, chop. I freaking... <laughs> You about to be a I'm about to be a single parent. Now. Yeah, and but that's like I try I try and stay away from you know even I, I try and stay away from politics and stuff like that because yeah trust it's not me gonna be relevant. it's not going it's not going to be relevant and you know it's it's also you know it's not relatable to the majority you've got half and you've got half well, half of them are gonna think it's funny the other half are gonna be pissed off you said it. Whereas it's if like you religion, do something you that's relatable, the, something like clipping the back of your heels and, uh, okay, well, everybody's gone grocery shopping. Everybody can relate to that. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, Robin Williams, very, very famous com uh, comedian, obviously, you know who he is, but his um, thing, Weapons of Self-Destruction, I don't know if you saw that comedy special, yeah. he talks about George Bush and Bill Clinton and all that. Everyone can bring down the Bill Clinton thing, because that was a giant scandal that happened in society that we all remember, Even and, and the jokes don't ever die about it, so it, it's something that's going to probably be relevant for a while, even for the kids growing up, but they don't truly understand the full aspect. I don't even truly understand the full aspect of what happened with Bill Clinton, but like when it comes to all the jokes you can crack but a lot of it it seems like a, a lot of people are like you know you, you either gotta play it clean you gotta play it dirty 
It's like Bill Cosby, one of the, the actors known as Clean. He used to get pissed off at people that would you. He'd say you broke the fuck meter or you used too much language in your thing, and he wouldn't like you. Well, he came out with this giant. He's now literally labeled the um a serial rapist. He's the literally the world's most um renowned or pro, what is it renowned serial rapist. Renounced. Re, whatever it is. Re, yeah. The worst one, basically. Yeah. And he's known as that. But, you know, he have you people were talking about this whole thing about stories going out about him about you know, and then everyone's like, oh, they're just doing me too and all this stuff, which is one of the things I wanted to get down to, which I found out this morning. Two giant things happened last night that I want to talk to you about um, from when we talked last night. Okay. Okay. Well, um, to, to go back onto the Bill Cosby <coughs> aspect, you know. He used to do weird stuff. He used to have pay people to watch him eat curry. Restaurant people will talk about them. People are like, all right, that's just a weird thing. But then you talk about him drugging people and doing all these things. Like, there are some actors... I believe if an actor doesn't crack a joke about his dick, then you, or a, com- a com- comedy person doesn't crack a joke about their dick, there's something wrong with them. There's very few actors that have ever made it funny clean. Um, Norm MacDonald started clean, but does his stand-up specials now are not clean. He's Seinfeld. Seinfeld, he does cuss in his act too. He hardly you, ever cusses in his act. But he still cusses in his act. I don't like Seinfeld just there's because a great I hate special, his voice. There's a great special that I no. saw. Um, Louis C.K. had his own. Oh, Louis C.K. had his own. Um, his it was a talk show, and I can't remember the name of it now. But it was Chris Rock, Louis C.K., Jerry Seinfeld, and somebody else. It was a while ago that I saw it. Uh, a British sure? a British comedian. Uh, he was on the he was on the British version of The Office. Um, Bill, I don't remember. Anyway, uh, but they were talking about how uh, Jerry Seinfeld did an entire segment about how or talked about he had a joke that he was doing, and he did the joke first, and he said "fuck" when he did the joke the first time. Got lots and lots of laughs. Then. He at the next show that he did, he did the same joke, but he took out the word "fuck," and it didn't get as many laughs. And it was at that point that he realized that he doesn't like cussing on stage, and that's because he wants. He realized why it happened is because it was a moment where in his stand-up he was supposed to be portraying being frustrated and angry, and so when he said "I did," "I fucking did this," then it, you know it was more believable versus "I did this." You know, it was, you know, it was the, in the moment. It, so he wanted to be more believable without having to use the foul language. Well, when we, when we say that you represent an image, especially when you do like a first special or something, you got to understand when you first start being a comedian, you got to find what's your, what's your image? What's your th- way? Are you going to be the pissed off me is angry all the time? Are you going to be the adopted comedian? Are you going to be, who, you know, you got to f- f- figure out what's your outlet and run with it because... You can you can do it a couple times, but doing it forever is not going to work. It's, I always thought I was going to be the stoner comedian, and then I stopped smoking weed. You look like someone that like, <laughs> watches a lot of Scooby Doo and eats a lot of Scooby snacks. I would say. Yeah, I always thought you know because like my first time that I uh, I started writing, I, I did try to write stand up and everything like that. I wrote this whole bit about how. Um, it's like I, I I wanted to try it at like an actual comedy club. And I did this whole bit about how, okay, well, I, you know, this is my first, I'm new to this. I read an entire article about, you know, tips for stand-up comedians. The first tip was relate to the audience. Take a moment, look around the audience, but I'm really fucking stoned right now. 
because it's a comedy show at a comedy club. There's yeah. probably a lot of stoners out there. I mean, most most famous comedians they express the fact that they do smoke pot. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it, like Duncan, uh, not Duncan Trussell, Joe Rogan, obviously big pot advocate. Um, you know, uh, what's his name? Freaking uh, Doug Benson, big pot advocate. You know, Burt's a drinker. And then Tom Segura he doesn't do much, I mean, besides look up porn videos on his podcast with his wife. Which is great because the funny thing is, they have a good podcast that also got me started. It's called Your Mom's House. It was basically meant out to be as a joke. And um, like, like when we talk about like, I bet the one thing you probably get if you tell somebody you did stand-up or the one thing that they always talk about is if you tell somebody you're into comedy or you do comedy, they ask you, oh, tell me a joke. Something stupid like that. You're like, I can't just tell it on the spot. Like, it's not funny 24-7. I've got 50 million cheesy one-liners, but none of them are mine. Yeah, it's like, for real. And it's like, when he's talking about, um, like, he gets the question all the time that he's in a relationship or he's in, he's married to his wife. And they're both comedians, famous comedians. They're like, everyone asks him, is it funny all the time around the house? No. We, we do other shit, too. We're people. Like, you understand? It's just that we have an aspect We're that, funny as a job. We're not working when we're home. Yeah. But it's like, you know, when you look at that, and then it's like, when you're trying to find your outlet or your voice of who you want to be. I don't like Jerry Seinfeld. Mostly because I don't understand my mom's fascination with the show Seinfeld. But when I hear his voice, you know... I mean, what's the deal with airplane food? I can't do it. It just, it, it, I had to turn it off immediately. The back of my head started burning. So like, when I feel like he he was the originator of relatable comedy, though, because he all of his things were th- situations and everything Harley. like that. Uh, he, like all of his, all of his one line, like his one liners and his little bits that he did and everything like that were. All, every single one of them were situations that everyday people go through. Jim Gaffigan has a good one. Yeah. You ever heard his Hot Pocket bit? The Hot Pocket? Uh, no, but I heard you, I've, I've heard you talk about it. That's the most, that's one of his most famous bits is the Hot Pocket bit, but now he can't not do it. Right. Like, it's like, people expect that. Like, all right, I'm just going to go back to t- talking about Hot Pockets. And then Louis C.K. just came out um, after that giant scandal with his comedy special and everything like that. And, you know, all he did was focus on the com or uh, the uh, thing aspect of being caught. Yeah, it happened. And he like just, he announced it, but he just kept rolling through it with his whole thing. And that's, Louis C.K. is one of the few comedians, one of the few people put into the spotlight with this whole movement that will actually be able to take a spin on it and, and still make money off of it. Well, actually, like, everybody else is screwed. That comedy but Louis performance C.K., he, did, he bombed. He did? He yeah. was, and he doesn't know if he wants to go back to it. It's because everyone's at the point now where it's like, you messed up and we don't... because his humor, like, his humor was always dark. Louis C.K. Like, not dark, but, like, he talked about some shit that a lot of comedians are like, I'm not, you're gonna, you're gonna what? The one line, one line that, one line that Louis C.K. said was, um, you should ne- you should never rape a girl. Unless she says no. It's like he's like that's funny, but then you find out you find out now that he did this. this, Yeah, exactly. And then now it's like that joke would you would not laugh if you said you'd be like. Didn't Louis C.K. Didn't Louis C.K. just um, masturbate in front of girls? He would ask women if he could jack off in front of them. Yeah, yeah. So he never like physically did anything with girls. He just would ask women if if he could jack off in front of them. Yeah, but apparently he did that before he was doing his. 
like before he really took off and stuff too. Right. But it's the same thing. If Bill Cosby went to go try and do comedy again, you wouldn't even a hundred percent. Oh no, hell, no. no. <laughs> you wouldn't be about that at all. And then a lot of people like took it very, very like were like pissed off the people who were doing the Me Too type stuff because of the whole situation about how he was basically the comedy grandfather. And a lot of people don't understand like how influential these people are. When we talk about influences on what gets us started, you gotta understand like someone that grows up watching the Cosby show, watching Bill Cosby, looking at Bill Cosby and seeing this downturn of their basically hero or idolized person in general, that's a big thing. That's like someone attacking your family in a way. And like to a lot of people like but even the, the, the African-American community stepped back when Bill Cosby had these accusations coming out of them. Now, I wanted to talk to you about... Do you, you don't have kids, do you? No. Okay. Um, I, Not that I know. So what I found out this morning, um, WBOC just released this article about this guy. He used to work at the Ocean Pines um, medical place down here. Okay. Now... Um, a couple of years ago, I went there to go get blood tested and stuff like this and get, you know, get, get some checked up on stuff and get a couple of things coming out. Cause I was realizing like, I wasn't having like the kind of the drive, you know, like the testosterone I thought I used to have. Um, that's just cause working out every day and doing stuff like that. Well, it turns out, um, this guy's like, here, let me check, make sure everything's okay. And he was saying he was a medical professional and stuff, which he was, he worked at the, the clinic and stuff. And, um, he's check, you know, checking checking me out and everything shirt off and then he's like you know you're very fit or whatever he goes I used to do porn back in the day and I'm like okay and he goes no I, I used to be into porn he goes I can get you in if you're looking for a, like a porn career like you want to make money doing that I'm like I don't know I'm only 19 years old it's kind of hard for me to decide maybe if college doesn't work out from 23 I'll do porn or something you know I'm ripped with a six pack so it's like might as well use it for something right and um he ends up uh like getting my phone number because he says he helps counsel kids. He's a youth pastor as well. Helps counsel kids. Um, like does it on the side as like a. That's like, a wide variety of talents. Exactly. Yes, and this is what brings me to my fault with Christianity. Where we talk about a lot of people being rapists and stuff. But um, he was talking about like uh, I didn't get raped. That's not what happened. Okay, so I see your face turning like that. I'm like, where no. is this story going? But um. <laughs> Uh, it's you know he was he got my number he was like look he goes I understand because I was going through a, like a depression type thing like most kids at that age are kind of going through a thing I'm t- t- right, 20 years always, old yeah. I'm feeling like I'm I'm not accomplished I'm still going through college and I'm working all the time and tired and it's like hey and you got problems with your body it's like all right what the hell do I do you know what I mean you're not feeling well and um, this it, someone lends out an opening arm to you an opening hand saying hey you know if you need someone to talk to I'm here for you. Next thing you know, I start getting all these text messages, like, you know, like, it, they're supportive text messages. Then he starts sending me, like, pictures, and immediately I blocked his number, deleted all contact information with him, haven't talked to him in a couple of years. I saw him, like, a couple months ago. The article just came out today in WBOC. I dropped the whole thing. I wanted to totally forget about it. I told my mom about it and did all this, and, you know, she wanted to freak out and call the cops or do anything like that but I, I didn't have the proof because I deleted it the only time I did my I showed my buddy and I let my buddy know hey my doctor wanted me to get into porn like all this stuff and he's like oh no way I'm like no seriously and I showed him the text like holy shit do you need to you know you need to block this guy's number or something I, which I did and uh, the article comes out today youth pastor um, messing with kids in Pocomoke City or Pocomoke uh, River one of the schools it just came out today same guy and I was like me fucking too but I'm not going to say shit unless I had evidence about it. But I sent it to my buddy. I was like, remember that guy? He goes, oh my God. He goes, I was like, now you believe me, right? And he goes, 
I believed you before when you showed me the things where I was like, but I told people my doctor wanted me getting a porn. And they just go, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. And I sent them this article, like, holy shit. And I'm like, yeah, now you fucking believe me. Like, it seems like a joke. Like, I, yeah, my doctor wanted to get me into porn. Like, that's, that could be a good joke for me. But for fuck, like, that's a real thing that happens. And it sucks that, you know, some people are messed up like that. That's why I asked if you had kids because well, how would you feel being a dad and someone, like a guy doing, trying to, Get with your know. kids. I'd assume that I'd be going to jail too. Because you're killing them. <laughs> that's just my assumption. Is not only is that guy going to jail, but but isn't that just a crazy like that's that's a pistol whip right there. When I found that out this morning, I was like, damn, that's that's nuts. That people are like that. There are some sick people out there, and sick there's sick people in a good way that bring out in like forms of comedy and expression. But then there's like the Bill Cosby sickos. Like he's probably one of the sickest people out there. And, you know, you look at O.J. Simpson, freaking, you know, the glove didn't fit, all that type of shit. But it's, it's like, and then he, and then but he, he was in Naked Gun. It. And then he, he writes a book gun. about it. If I did it. If I did it. If. And the question mark's, like, really small. Like, for real. Like, how how much are you hinting at? That's a money grab, though. If I did it. It's smart, though. It's smart. But it's, this is random. Completely random. Backtracking a lot. But Go I ahead. just realized it. So we were talking about Will Smith and the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and how he went by Will Smith um, and he was going by the Fresh Prince like it was Jazzy Jeff and the the Fresh Prince. So it's called the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. He went by his own name. But then you've got the Cosby Show, but he's Dr. Huxtable. (laughs) Why did he, why is it called, why was it ever called the Cosby Show if he wasn't Bill Cosby? If he was, I never really if seen he the was Cosby clipped. show. So the, with the with the, the Cosby, sweaters pissed me off. So I didn't <laughs> with the Cosby that. show, they were the Huxtable family, and he was Cliff Huxtable, but it was still called the Cosby show. Theo, yeah, yeah. Rudy. He, there's, it's crazy. I've been watching, I've been watching uh, like different movies and stuff like that, different shows, and every once in a while, more often, I feel like in the past couple of years, I've been like, why does that person look so familiar? And then I'll look them up online. I'm like, oh snap. We they got, were on the Cosby Show. We got into they a, were a little. They were a little one on the Cosby Show. We got into a freaking argument last night about freaking um, who played in the Longest Jars. I was like, yeah, Terry Crews was in there, and I sent Magellan it last night. I was like, no, his name was Cheeseburger Eddie in the show. He said, I got the fries. And uh, I, I see. Your now eyes. I remember. As soon as you said, as soon as you said that line last night, I was like, okay, you're right. That was Terry Crews. And the guy that but was Terry, the giant Shrek dude. His yeah. name is Bob Sapp. Bob Sapp. I looked him and up And this is still night. the same movie, right? I'm, I'm not thinking of a different no, football we're movie. we're thinking of the same Longest Yard. Okay, the not, same. Not okay. the original, the remake. Well, I just didn't know, because like, there's there's other, there's other, uh, there's like the Gridiron Gang, then there's Longest Yard. No, we're talking about the Longest Yard. So yeah, like, yeah. yeah so it was still the same, same Have you movie. seen the original Longest Yard? I, could, I have not, actually. Burt Reynolds, yeah. when he slaps that girl, he actually slapped her. Like, it's, it, it, that, her reaction, like, <gasps> that's an actual slap. But that was comedy for back then. You couldn't do that now. No, absolutely not. That's where it scares me about society, where we go so far. And well, that's what like uh, I, comedy changes. Like it's on a spectrum all the time. It's, it's not even with not even with comedy. Like people, my 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 mom, my wife, like a lot of close people in my family, my for a very very long time have told me you need to be a teacher. You should be a teacher. You should, like you would be a great teacher. Like you, you know, you like you would be a good influence on children. You would get the, you know, you would entertain them so that they would actually pay attention.
attention. Like you would be a fantastic teacher. But I look back on some of my favorite teachers that I had growing up. And like, you know, one of my favorite teachers was Mr. D. He was my elementary slash middle school theater teacher. And the stuff that we covered and that we talked about in that class uh, come middle school was intense. We were talking about child predators. We were doing skip the plays about child predators. We were doing plays about, um, you know, just about serious topics. And I had my one of my favorite uh, teachers in middle school also was uh, a social studies teacher of mine that literally in the middle of class, I remember eighth grade, the best example I can give of what kind of person he was. In eighth grade, the girl in front of me, I'm sitting here kicking the back of her chair. And finally she gets pissed off and she turns around and she yells at me. And my social studies teacher stops class, looks at me and goes, Steven, what, what high school are you going to? So I'm going to Indian River. He goes, you better get your shit together. In the middle of an eighth grade class, he's like, you better get your shit together because you're going to get your ass kicked in high school if you keep acting like that. I got uh, told shut up by a teacher. I've only had a couple teachers that have actually given me the light of day. My third grade teacher who did my podcast, um, she understands how to work and give the individual time for, you know, the stress that's on teachers. I look back now, it's like, that's why. But, you know, when I was a kid, they put me, I, I went to um, this school and then around third grade, I transferred schools because the one teacher would just send me out of class because she couldn't handle me at all. And they put me in a room that was basically like, uh, it was, it was, there was only a window in the room. It's, it's what's now known as, um, it's like the behavior mod room. Yeah. So to speak. Well, well now it's, now it's a bathroom. That's the funny thing. It's, 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 it's white walls. There was only a desk in there. They gave me a pen and a notepad to write on. And sometimes they didn't give me that. And this is before cell phones and all that. So I couldn't sit there and cl like, you know, listen to music or anything like that. And just had me sitting there staring at this piece of paper in this white room with a little window in the door that used to, people used to walk through. It was, it was torture basically in a way and um every now and again the teacher would walk by and look in and i had just had really bad adhd where i couldn't control myself and i was having like i watched a bunch of scary movies when i was little when i wasn't supposed to so i was getting nightmares and i was having a rough time couldn't sleep and like freaking out in the middle of the night like that type of stuff and you know i was dealing with a lot like a lot of uh, family problems too happening and it was like no teacher was seeing that. They were just seeing some kid that couldn't handle being in class. They thought I was like mentally challenged in a way. They talked to my parents about it. And um, so we, we transferred schools because one day I was just like, I'm not going. Like, you got to understand, like, it's this is not for me. And then I, I, I met my, uh, when I went into this new class, third grade teacher, introduced me to my best friend who's like the complete opposite of me, all black clothing, you know, doesn't really talk a whole lot around people, but he talks a lot to me. And it was like, it, you know, she she saw everything and she knew how to treat my ADHD. She used to put eraser caps on my pencils when I used to drum on the desk because she knew my dad was a drummer. She knew I like to, I have ADHD, so when I'm tapping my foot constantly, it's not that I'm not trying to pay attention, it's trying I'm trying to get the energy out of my brain to go into my feet so I can focus on what you're saying. Right. Like when we get into this conversation, I might seem I'm 100% connected, but I'm thinking about a million different things at once right now. I'm thinking about what I'm going to do an hour from now, I'm going to do 10 minutes from now, the you know, the piss I have to take, all this type of stuff. It's like it my my brain goes in all these different places where I say it's a mental handicap in a way. It is a mental handicap, but it gets it helps me get stuff done and help me get focused. The craziest thing was that a teacher could take that aspect of it and do that. Now we all have cool teachers. We all had teachers that got us interested in the subject, whether they did a certain something, whether they were more physical in with the crowd or something like that, you know. Yeah. Being able to Hey, let's go outside and do this, you know, create a fun activity that gets you a helpful learn or something like that. Something that 
can relate to you. That's all you really need as a teacher. You really just need someone that can give you the time to take that in, which I do believe your parents and family were right about that situation where you might be a good teacher. My I just whole feel issue, like my, your whole your whole thing is the establishment type deal. Exactly. You can't. You're not able to function like you feel like you're completely 100% yourself and free when you have someone over you that you have to honestly clock in or do something or put on a tie even. I just think my first year of me teaching, I would end up getting fired because I would say something that I am not supposed to say in school. Because I look back on, like I said, my favorite teachers and you know, the stuff that they did, that they influenced me, the way that I was able to learn. If I did now, if I told, if a teacher told, tells a student that they're going to get their ass kicked, that they're going to get the shit beat out of them in high school... Because they need to know oh, that getting, because they're acting getting, like an ass. Getting a pissed off mom and parent. That's gonna down. that's gonna come and then that's their job. If uh, you know they find out that you know you had you had a teacher that was talking to a se- uh, seventh grader about rape and all this other stuff in the middle of a class, a seventh grader talking to them an entire class about all this all this stuff. They're like, okay, that's a little bit of a strong subject to be talking to a seventh grader about. We're probably going to have to get rid of you. Yeah. Like, but the stuff that, like, you know, there's when I was in middle school, there's what? sex scandals that happened at Decatur uh, recently, where um, there was a there was a girl teacher that was messaging um, like boys and fiddling around with them. When we look at that and we're like, hey, you know, if we're that kid's dad, we're like, oh yeah, good for you. My son's getting laid by a thirty year old or something like that. But then we look at the one that just happened with the guy that was messaging the younger girl and doing all that and everyone gave him so much shit because he's a guy doing it to a girl. It's how society looks at things. Now we we all uh, there we've all experienced whether our teacher actually gave us the time and made the class fun. Like my one history teacher my junior year, my initials are RR. His name is Mr. Uh, Magaki. He called me rest and relaxation because whenever he called on me, I'd be like, what? Like half asleep in the back of class. Like the only reason I really got through it was from my best friend in front of me that was letting me copy his answers and stuff. And um, he never let us work together the whole semester, but he would let us sit right beside each other in the back of class. Like, you know, you know I'm going to copy him anyway. But he called me rest and relaxation and related things to the sublime and stuff. And it made me want to learn more and then my junior and senior year I had the same class it was like an alternative education class where you really just showed up and you got an A I would sit there on my phone just looking up stuff this was around the time I was interested in aquariums and stuff so I'm buying fish and doing all this stuff looking up researching fish and you know I built my own koi pond and stuff like this and then like I'm sitting there bored out of my mind he's like Rob you just want to go take a walk around school sure I w-. he's like alright I come back for five minutes later you know like go get take a piss or something, come back. That wasn't long enough. What do you mean that wasn't long enough? It's 11.30. Class ends at uh, around like one one o five. Go take a walk. I'm like, where do you want me to go? Do you drive? Yeah? Okay. All right, well, I'll see you when I get back. And then I said, I wouldn't even come back to class. He'd still give me an A and mark me down. He didn't care because he knew I wasn't in there for the reason that class was there. That was a, a, literally a subject in class where if you showed up, you got an A. As long as you signed the attendance sheet, you were there. It's an alternative education class. It's for the kids. I was in there misplaced in a way. All the other kids in there got caught for smoking cigarettes on property or uh, cussing out the teacher or some shit where they had to be in there for one class. It wasn't an actual class. It was alternative education. Right. We had two teachers that were coaches. They, one was a basketball coach, one was a baseball coach. They had students come in from baseball and basketball during the middle of the thing and talk to them. Like, hey, coach, what do I do with this? Why they were on their lunch or something. Like, hey, do this. They're both on their computers. 
They're really just watching you to make sure you're not acting up or doing anything bad. And it's funny, I could raise my hand and be like, can I um, go go to the bathroom? And they'll be like, yeah, man, go up to the bathroom. And then the next thing you know, one of the other kids that actually is in there for something bad, um, one kid, can I go to the bathroom? What are you going to do? Are you going to go walk around school or do something like that? And they immediately would do that. I'm like, but because they knew I wasn't supposed to be in there. But it was a way the school system could deal with me. The way the school system could be like, let's just put this kid in here and give him the credit and then get him through high school and get him out of our hair. Like, there's very few teachers or educational systems. I did appreciate that at the time, especially when I would watch the new episode of Walking Dead and come back into class and me and my teacher are watching The Talking Dead on his computer. That was fun. Like, those type of teachers that were level with you and be cool and treat you like, all I ask for is the treat full of respect, which I feel like is the same thing with you. When you talk about you don't want to be have a boss over you, you want to be respected. You know, it's hard to be taught with authority. It's the same thing when someone, like if, if my mom or somebody tells me to do the dishes or something. If I was going to do them and you told me to do them, I'm not going to do them. It's not a fact that I, I just can't handle it. It's the reason I can't join the military. I can't handle authority. It's not that I have a thing of it. But once you start talking down to me, I... I immediately feel disrespected. If you treat me like an equal, I will treat you the exact way I would want to be treated in a nice, proper manner. And, but my question to you is, can you tell the difference as a, as a young man and just based on the, uh, the mannerisms and everything else that I've, I've listened to you and everything like that, um, you're perfectly capable of telling the difference between somebody just asking you to do something and somebody talking down on you. Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. Because yeah. I was like, just because your mom asks you to do the dishes doesn't mean she's talking down on you. Well, the way the way she likes to do it, I don't want to call her out, but the way she likes to do it is she likes to give you the backhanded compliment. I'll do the dishes without her even asking, and then next thing I know, I'm um, she opens up the dishwasher. Oh, you did dishes, but you didn't put them away. I will fucking go back in there and lick every single plate. Don't give me that shit. No, she's your mom. She's compliment. teaching you. I can I can understand. True, I understand. Where a firm hand is needed. If, is if my mom, true. if my mom would have done that more with me growing up, like I have my own place now. I live in my own my own environment, my own place. You know, and if my mom would have done that to me growing up, I probably wouldn't have some of the issues that I have now, where I wash I wash the dishes and stuff like that. But then I don't put them away. Well, guess what? Then I, I go to cook later because I'm cooking my own meals and I'm doing everything in my own house. Well, they're not put where they're supposed to be. So I'm going to go get them out of the cabinet. And I'm like, oh, shit. Well, I washed them earlier, but I didn't fucking put them away. You know, it's like she's she's I'm you don't simple, realize it because listen, she's your mom and you're going to say that she's, no, no, no. Your, she's just, teaching you I'm lessons. Just, I'm that just you're giving her shit because I know she's going to listen to it. You're going to use no, them. I'm saying... I, Part of the reason why I'm, gonna, why I'm telling you to listen to your mom is because you said she was going to listen later. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But look, I have one spoon, one bowl, one cutting board, one knife. I have multiple other stuff, but that's all I use. I wash it as soon as I get done with it and put it off to the side because I'm going to use it again later. That's all I do. I don't use plates. I don't use any of that stuff because everything I eat salads. You don't eat salad off a plate. At least uh, normal people don't. I eat it out of a bowl. I can't eat salad out of a plate. I, another thing, I can't do mac and, mac and cheese on, on a plate either. My mac and cheese has to be in a bowl. Do you not like when your food touches either? No, I don't mind if my food touches, but it's just like, I don't know, I feel like... Now, all right, I gotta like, ask this question, because my dad's from Baltimore, and he does this all the time, and I don't understand if it's a Baltimore thing. Ketchup on your eggs. Yes. You do that? Scrambled eggs, yes. You're nasty as hell. I also put mustard on my mac and cheese. I don't like mac but and that's cheese. that's not weird. So that's not... I mean, I put mustard on my salad. That's weird. How? What do you mean, how? Tastes good. Mustard's not a dressing. I just put spicy mustard. I put a bunch of stuff on myself. I don't use dressing. I put, like, hot sauce. Sounds like you're a fucking rabbit. 
Well, I just don't use dressing as calories, bro. What's the what's the, what? not all dressings are calories? They yeah, they have skinny syrups. Yeah. But yeah, I only use skinny syrups in my coffee or something like where it tastes like caramel or something. But using this Walden dressing syrups, they're really good, but they're super expensive and they're really high in sodium. Yeah. But I use a lot of hot sauce and everything. And I and once you start eating salads for like I mean going on like eating clean for like six years now. You have to spice it up with something, whether it's cumin. Oh my God, you ever used cumin before? Not cinnamon, Probably. cumin. It makes it taste like Taco Bell's taco meat. Yeah. That Mexican flavor, it gives it that. You put cumin on anything, it doesn't matter what it is, it tastes exactly like you're eating Taco Bell. <laughs> that has killed my craving for ever wanting Taco Bell. I just throw cumin on it. But I use a lot of cayenne peppers and a lot of spicy foods. I like spicy stuff. Which brings me to my question of the wings <laughs> challenge, bro. You look like Pickles you're dying. Pickles did you look up the last dab like I told you to? No, Hot I completely ones? forgot you to. You gotta watch Hot Ones. Dude. Oh, man. Yeah, Bill Burr on there. Because I just, I can't even imagine. So you said that these guys are getting hotter and hotter, trying, tasting different hotter okay, and hotter so stuff there's, there's, as they're having a conversation. Imagine like eight wings. Right. Okay, there's eight different sauces behind those wings. Each one, you dab the wing or dab in that sauce. And it's spicier and spicier. And spicier goes up the Scoville scale. But you're having a conversation this you're entire time. You're answering questions of an interview while... It's happening. So See, like, I couldn't have. I was. I was. I couldn't even have people talk to me while I was eating these well, freaking wings. Well, that's the wings. funny thing. Like, people were trying to like, all right, hey man, how you feeling? How you feeling? I'm literally just like, shut the fuck up, leave me alone. Yeah. Well, after, <laughs> well, after, after three wings, people like, are patting me on the back. I'm like, don't fucking touch yeah, me. Yeah, I remember. Um, <laughs> what's his name? Marwan was in it. So yeah, he was in there and he was like making fun of you because you were a lot, you're a crap, or you're crying. Yeah, or whatever. I'm that like, was Dude, funny. You understand how hot it is. You watch, but then you keep watching the end of that video. He, he, was like, I was like, oh, yo, yo, he's crying, he's crying. And then you watch when I run away, he takes his finger and he dips it in the sauce. And then for the rest of the freaking night, he's like, yo, I need another beer. My mouth is still burning. My mouth is still burning. I'm like, dude, you just put it on your fingertip. I just ate eight freaking wings that were soaked in it. Like, and you were making fun see, of me for crying earlier. They don't understand until once they get in the seat and they're like, oh, shit, I'm, I, I shouldn't have been an asshole. Same thing when I was giving Magellan all that crap for the scratch-offs. next thing you know, I won $5 and I start And you're like, go get me another one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's winning bank, but he ends up losing, so it was okay. I didn't feel like that much of a dick. You should have went to 7-Eleven that night, dude. I went and got all those freaking taquitos, man. <laughs> he's like, it's not keto. I'm like, it's not keto, it's delicious. But, um, like, you got to understand, though, like... Yeah, man, when you're eating like when you're eating clean or something, you gotta spice it up with bland foods. But when you're watching these guys answer these questions and eat these wings, it is the best premise because of how honest they get. Would you eat the wings though with your picky di- like with you like with everything that you eat? Would you would you take the time? Would I to do actually, the challenge? Would you do the challenge? I would just do an extra harder workout before. Gotcha. Yeah. So like if I'm gonna do something, I would like fast or do something where I don't eat and then go burn twelve hundred calories, and that would make up for doing that gotcha. like sometimes You're if I have, ahead. sometimes how my brain works like I always have to go to the gym whether it's a good workout or a bad workout I just gotta push myself through it and try and get through it whether I do just an insane amount of cardio take it kind of like a rest day since I don't incorporate rest days and I work out every day it's good to have like a cardio day where you're just really running and doing something like that so I'll eat properly for that workout you always want to eat properly for your workout whether it's like you want to eat um, That's what I'm saying. You're throwing proteins on your salads and stuff like that too, right? Oh, dude. My, like, I've talked about this before. If you ever increase your protein intake massively, my farts are outrageous. You can tell when I let one go, and I'll always admit to it. Like, If you ask me if I farted, I would tell you straight up, yeah, I did. It's, it's not my fault. 
when it comes to that, but when you're eating nothing but salads, raw cabbage, all these types of foods that are bloating, and then meaty, meaty, meaty foods, like egg whites, like the, those stuffs, and then like, I don't eat red meats, but I eat a lot of like protein, I eat my body weight in protein, sometimes more. You're, it's constantly massive dumps, all this types of stuff, all, like, it's all that. Because it's hard for your stomach to process all that. Right. But if I was going to do the wing challenge, like, if you invited me out tonight and we did the wings challenge, I would just go to the gym, um, do, like, a cardio thing, not eat, and then go there and eat the wings. That's how my brain develops it. But I, I have a little bit of, like, body dysmorphia when it comes to that type of stuff because I got bullied in school for being overweight and stuff. And then you look at me like, you don't know me as being the overweight kid, but if I showed you a picture, you'd be like, damn, that was you? I'm like, yeah. You know, there was a problem at one point. But it's like, it's where it becomes, food is an addiction. Yeah. You know, you gotta understand, everything becomes an addiction at some point, whether you're addicted to comedy, whether you're addicted to just life in general. You gotta find out the easiest transition to rationalize yourself out every yeah. I know, day. I know a lot of people who went through a, like, through a rehab program for being addicted to drugs, and one of the biggest things is I knew, I noticed that all the guys that were coming out of the rehab program when they were finished, uh, when they went in, not, some of them have never even seen a gym before, but... They went in addicted to drugs, and they came out addicted to the gym. That's essentially what they they were they were hitting the gym. They were in shape. They were getting bu they were getting buff. They were you know they were going to the gym every single day. My, but they weren't doing drugs anymore. My best reference for that is it's it's finding for a different outlet for you know if if you have an addiction to something if you find something else to get your mind off of it. A lot of people like when they quit smoking they chew candy or eat gum or not eat gum eat candy chew gum or yeah. do something like that to get off the little weaning fix or they drink a lot of diet soda or something like that. But when it comes to um, like going to the gym at two o'clock in the morning, you see two types of people. You see the really, really freaking smart people, like we're talking about Elon Musk, that can't function around society, don't like being around normal people because they are literally too smart to have a conversation with these people. Um, or you run into the tweakers and the weird people, or you run into the, I guess, three types of people. You run into the people that are joining the New Year's resolution type thing, or they just got a gym membership and they're trying right. not to work out in front of anybody. But that's the problem when you think like, oh, I'm going to go to the gym. A 24-hour gym is my gym. Yeah. You want to work out really late or really early where nobody's going to be there. They have the same exact thought you do. So they're there too. Like it's At 3 o'clock in the morning, there was always, for some reason, a lot of people there. And then they would all roll into the parking lot, see every single car, and they all leave. And the next thing you know, it's just me there again. I'm like, ah! You know? And I'm, I'm a, 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 a witness or not a victim, I guess, to doing the two-a-days back when I was like, you know, I still do this sometimes. I wake up early in the morning, head down there, do a heavy cardio session just to give myself an excuse to eat an extra carb or something when I get home. Like, I'm going to eat this when I get home. Have, you know, dip into that. It's like, it depends on how you want how do you want to live your life? Because you can't keep it up forever. I can't keep working out every single day for the rest of my life. Six years is pretty impressive. Even tonight, I'm like, I might not even go. I might just take it easy tonight or something. But, you know, I will myself to do it because it's like checking your phone or doing something. It gets addictive at a certain point. Then do you, have, do, you have the, do you have the issue where, okay, if you took the, gym, if you took, the uh, took off tonight and you didn't go to the gym, were you just not going to eat for the rest of the day because you didn't get your cardio in? No, I would, but I would go early in the morning without eating and then burn like 1,800 calories to make up for it. And I don't even think I'd be able to last it because one time I tried to not go and um, I got all the way to like 10.30 at night and once the time that I usually go starts approaching, my brain's like, you're fucking going. Like, it's happening. Like, you don't understand. 
you're going now. And it's like you start throwing yourself into like a depression type thing. It becomes a lot like with um uh body dysmorphia and like stuff like that. Like your brain just gets put in like a mental kind of like handicap type situation. It's it's definitely challenging because like you can it takes a toll on your body in ways, but at the same time it's like I always feel better afterwards like stress is relieved and stuff like that but you just got to find outlets or something that you can get your focus off I'm slowly getting better at it like when it comes to incorporating better foods and like you know like being able to treat myself every now and again like either I have I don't eat ice cream or anything but buying maybe halo top ice cream or something but it just sucks because like when you have something like that that's been happening for so long it's like you get stuck in a routine it's like it when you get to change that you become so religious with it it's it feels like if anybody tries to mess with that it's yeah. it's hard you can't switch up it's it, yeah if it i is, told you you were wiping your schedule. hand or you're wiping your ass with your right hand the whole time and i asked you to switch to your left you're gonna for the first while end up with shit all over my hand well yeah and at the first time you're gonna be messing up and keep using your right when you're gonna keep accidentally mistaken oh shit i gotta wipe my left not my right you got you're gonna it's gonna take a while to break out of that click and that's how you gotta understand with addiction where people have their faults and people have their relapses it's it's something that they're never going to get over they're going to have that for the rest of their life. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Now, if you stop drinking and you've been sober for 30 years, doesn't mean if you don't pick up that drink. Some people can pick up the drink and you know not go back to it. But some people pick up that drink and then it's all, all that progress, all those chips that they earned is lost. It's the same thing I, yeah. with anything that's an addiction. I've worked with, I've, you know, I worked in the, in the restaurant industry for a very long time. And I've worked with bartenders and stuff like that who admit that they were, that they were alcoholics and stuff like that. But they had been clean and sober for quite a while. Um, but they were still able to, oh, I just made this new cocktail, take a straw, dip it in, put their finger over it, put a drop in their mouth to try it because they were a bartender. You know, they needed to be, they wanted, they knew they needed to be able to taste it, to tell and everything like that. And they were perfectly capable of doing that without falling off the wagon and see, going now, back into it. See, a therapist or somebody that would be sponsoring them would see that as a trigger. Well, as a trigger, absolutely. But it just depends on the person. Uh, there are plenty of people who, that as soon as they tasted that, they would, they, would, um, they would go right back to fall, they would fall off the wagon and stuff like that. But there are other people who, you know, it all depends on the person. Me, I mean, I talk about, um, I'll, I'll fully admit it, like when I, was, when I was smoking pot, people say that pot's not addictive. I call bullshit. It is. Addictive. It's not a physical addiction. You can also overdose it's, on it. It's not a physical addiction. It's a mental addiction. Yeah. Because I mean, I was I got to the point where yeah, I was smoking pot all day every day. Did you know you can overdose on it? All day. I did not know you could. I talked about it with DJ Magellan. It's called the green out effect. Nobody believed me, but I used to get so baked out of my mind in my high school years that I would get so sick I'd have to go to sleep or I'd have to take a shower. I have to drink some milk. I have to eat some food. I have to do something. Those are all things that you can do to bring down the green out effect the green out effect causes nausea causes incest paranoia depends on where your anxiety goes where people say maybe you're just got too many demons inside you or maybe you got you need to smoke more pot or something because you need to calm down all those anxieties different strain or whatever well you got to understand when you're going through that i used to get so high i used to vomit there used to be stuff like that that's what kicked me off fast food i haven't had fast food in six years you know why because one time i ate mcdonald's i thought the food that's what got me sick because i was so stoned out of my mind I ate that McChicken, threw it up immediately. I could not eat anything. I also can't eat honey mustard or anything like that anymore because of the fact of I used to eat that stuff like soup and then 
it, it, pot in a way is your mind coming to a basis on things. It does bring you to your inner thoughts, what you should be working on. It brings stuff to light. But it also, it can cleanse out your body in a way. If you are, like what I did was basically go through a whole bottle of Ken's Steak Honey Mustard Syrup, that giant thing. My grandma used to get the big ones from BJ's. Basically, it's where you're drinking your chicken tenders out of like soup, not eating them by dipping them. That was a ridiculous amount of honey mustard I was using, like half a bottle in one plate of like five McNuggets or something. And I threw up because of that. I got super baked after I ate that. So it was probably the food, not the pot. Exactly, but it was my body cleansing out that. But I was so... So you're not overdosing on the pot. You're overdosing on all the shit you're eating. No. Now also, listen, it's your body being cleansed. But when you come down to the fact of the green out effect... I have experienced it where I haven't eaten anything or I've eaten like some healthy foods like when I was eating clean and tried it. The problem is your brain can get too high. There's two different effects. One, when you get too high and you smoke, there's cures for that. That is just like taking a shower. It just eliminates the effect. People like splash some water on your face. Steam, um, hot water. It's, yeah. it's mostly because it's your body purifying all the toxins that because it's in a way the pot clears you out it also it it brings some toxins into you now when you do an edible you can't just go to sleep because you'll wake up and be like fuck i'm still high like you know that doesn't work but my brother would always ask me why do you go to sleep after we smoke i'm like because i get too baked he under he does it every single day multiple times a day and that's how he functions he can't function without it for me i was just something i did with him to kind of bond in a way and like, I never had it, never bought it. He always had it. So it was like, oh, you want to smoke? Sure. You know, not going to school and I'll sit and watch Friday, eat a salad bowl of Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Yeah. And, um, you know, the life. And it was like, I used to get too, I didn't know when to stop. Because you don't know when to stop when you're smoking. You know, too much can be too much. I remember one time I hit a dab for the first time. Ooh. Never again, man. No. My buddy. I never like that. My buddy did a quarter size thing. That was my first hit. He did it for himself. But then he got, he was high before, and he was like, dude, you should try this. And I tried it, and I cleared the whole thing. And then, dude, as soon as I blew the smoke out, I was like, every single color around me, like whoa, someone turned whoa, the saturation whoa, effect whoa, on. Whoa, and the next whoa. thing I know, like, my buddy, we're in his car, and we're driving. And um, he's like, dude, watch this. And he's, like, doing spins and shit. He's having a good time. In my head, it feels like the brain is on the twister ride where it's spinning back and forth. All the colors are like someone's heard a saturation effect all the way up. My brain is just going twirly, twirly. Like, I, I closing my eyes, my head's spinning like this. Like, if you're shaking your head side to side. Oh, dude, I got so sick. Well, so people, like, the first, I remember the first time I went over to somebody's house, I already had a nice, like, I had this little buzz going on, and I went over there, he's like, oh, you want to try a dab? I was like, sure, I've never tried a dab, why not? So he takes out his ring, and the next thing I know it, he takes out that big-ass torch, and I'm like, whoa! Yeah, once they start that shit, I'm like, we're getting into the There's a torch, that's what I'm saying, like, you got this big torch, like, this is, this is a little intense for me, I feel like I'm in a crack house right now. Well, it's like, it feels like it's too much of a process just to get to that point. Yeah. Uh, you end up locking yourself in the bathroom. I'm like, you know what? You have fun with your torch. I'm going to go over here and I'm just going to roll myself a little joint. Have you ever like, seen cocaine before? Yeah. I've seen cocaine. That scared the shit out of me. I went over to my buddy's house who like, he was a, a dealer of like wax and all that type of stuff. He just has cocaine on the table doing lines of coke. I'm like, whoa! I've never seen it before. It was like a scar face amount too. I was like, whoa! He was like, what? And I was like, is this an everyday thing for you? He goes, yeah, I do it every once in a while. I'm like, what? 
And it's like people I've interviewed on my podcast, they talk about doing crack or cocaine every once in a while, like it's cake or something. I'm like, what the fuck? I don't know about doing crack every once in a she while. She did crack. It was my 10th episode. Um, she uh, was a professional arm wrestler, women's champion arm wrestler, a professional. Like that's a job you tell, like a kid tells you that they want to do and you're like, what the fuck right. are you talking about? You want to be an astronaut? Okay. Good school. Get the fuck out of my face. But it's like, she told me that. She's like, yeah, I did it on the weekends. And then she stopped when her um, ex-boyfriend or whatever OD'd. The one that introduced her to like biking and all the stuff that she was passionate about. OD'd. And she just stopped. Same thing with my grandma. I'm stopped. Never, I, that's the first time I've ever heard my grandma, the occasional crack user. My grandma smoked. Um, she was like, yeah, it was a socializing thing. I was like, what? She goes, yeah. It goes, people had it when I went to a party and it was just something to do. Like, I was like, I understand that though because we've. I'm pretty sure a lot of people have fallen to the point of smoking a cigarette because it's a social thing. Absolutely. That's Whether, why like, I some, started. You want a cigarette and you just pull out a cigarette. Yeah, I'll take one. Even though you don't smoke, you don't have a lighter or anything. You don't even have a pack. You never bought one before, but you smoke that cigarette with them because it's a bonding type thing. Yeah. There's a certain thing. You want a beer when you're having and a sit-down moment with your dad. Yeah, to go outside. Yeah, and it's a, an excuse to be able to do that. But it's like... Um, with her, that was how crack was. But then I, I look at my grandma who smoked cigarettes for 30 years. And then she stopped because she didn't want to do it anymore. She was tired of paying so much money. It got too expensive and she just stopped. Never had to pick up another one again. Never did it again. What the hell? People have that strong, like, will to be like, I don't yeah, fucking just stop. Like, you know what? But I'm then, not a smoker anymore. But then there's the people that are like, I need it. I need it. I need it. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's crazy to think how strong people's brains are in different aspects of life, whether they want to chase down a goal or chase down a career pursuit. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I've, I've, I've quit smoking cigarettes before, uh, for like, I, I went like six months without a cigarette. And then one night I went. I was really, really hammered, and the liquor, the bar was right next to a liquor store, and the liquor store stole cigarettes. And I was hanging out with a band that was just in the studio for live licks. And they were like, oh, I need a cigarette. And I was like, oh, I'll go over and get you a pack. So I went over to the liquor store, I bought them a pack, and just not even thinking about it. I haven't smoked a cigarette in six months. I wasn't craving them anymore, but I packed the pack for them, I opened it up, and then when I opened it up, I took one right out of the box, handed him the back of cigarettes, and smoked a cigarette. Didn't even think about it. I hadn't touched one in six months, and I'm, I'm smoking it, not even realizing I haven't had one in six months. Mm. And then I go to bed that night. I, I, wake up the, I, wake up, I wake up the next morning. I get into my car, reach into my door where, my, where I keep my cigarettes, grab one, and I, and I spark it. I'm like, I look at my fingers, and I'm like, holy, holy shit, what am I doing right now? Did I buy a pack of cigarettes last night? Damn. Just mentally, like I didn't even think of it. I hadn't had one in six months, but because I had one the night before, the next day I got into my car and just instinct, instinct kicked in, well, and I grabbed one. We don't even understand, like, well, we talk about what's out there in space to discover. What's all this stuff to discover? We don't even understand our brains a hundred percent. First of all, our brains are so complicated. We don't, we don't even understand the subatomic particles and all that type of crap. The stuff you see on superhero movies like Ant Man and the Wasp, that sub universe. All that's that's real shit. Limbo. You know that you know that's real. The sub paradigm, whatever they're talking about. I all can that's, imagine absolutely. all that stuff's real. So much stuff that we don't even know about that we can't even wrap our brains around. And if someone tried to explain it to us, we'd be like, Durr. Have you ever seen the show Sense Eight? No. Sense Eight. It's a show where there's eight people spread out across the world that are mentally connected, and they can actually like. Can, can, they can actually contact each other and talk to each other just mentally, and. 
if one person's in a situation like, okay, I don't know how to fight. I'm just a driver. But a bunch of dudes are about to mug me. Well, one of the other eight people that does know how to fight can take over my body for me and fight. Stuff like that. And that was the whole concept was these guys were actually it was it was they were the upper part of evolution for humanity was the fact that they are starting to be able to figure out how to use different parts of their minds and stuff like that um, that we don't know how to do right now. They say we only use like 20% of our mind or some shit. Yeah. All right, that's not true. We actually use a hell of a lot more than that. It was actually proven by Neil deGrasse Tyson, the guy who invented Cosmos, that TV show. Yeah. Who studies space and all that. That man knows how to talk and knows how to dumb it down for people, which is good to have on like a TV show and be a very smart guy like that. But like Elon Musk trying to have a TV show, you're like, what the hell? Like Joe Rogan talked about it. He felt like he was trying to fish out questions out of him. He was like, he was trying to talk to the guy because before the podcast, it seemed like he was going to be a very fun podcast. And then when he got on there, he was like one word responses and then like it was kind of hard to talk to him because immediately when he got I enjoyed that podcast when he got yeah well it was a good podcast to listen to but he actually had to listen to it it's the same thing if you listen to Dr. Rhonda Patrick on her her podcast with him you have to listen you can't be doing something in the background you have to put your effort into listening 100% because she goes into some serious scientific stuff. I can't li- I haven't listened to the full Neil deGrasse Tyson one because I'm when I listen to it, it's at the gym. So it's like I can't work out and listen because he gets talking about interdimensional space travel and I end up toning out of what's going on. I need to have some like jokes being played in the background or something like yeah. So I, I try and listen to the comedians or someone that's in like Gavin McInnes that talks about social problems or something like that where he's anti-feminism and all that type of stuff and makes fun of feminists and he gets punched in the face all the time and that guy Milo Yiannopoulos I don't know if you know who he is Not really he's like a gay guy that's like a politician and stuff like that and he believes people are gay because um uh they have nothing better to do or something like that and it's it, it's a bunch everyone's got their own little thing and thoughts and stuff which is it's it, it's why I like podcasting it's interesting to hear but when it comes to like what happened recently, um, that the other event that I wanted to bring up today that happened from um, yesterday, did you hear about the Mars rover? No. The Mars rover Odyssey sent out a last message to us, a scientist down here. You know what it said? What? It said, "My battery's getting low. It's getting dark. My battery is low. It's getting dark." Imagine that. You have this little robot that's been transmitting you messages all these years, and now it's saying its battery's getting low, it's getting dark. You can sense the emotion through that machine. Imagine that. Yeah, no, it's it's somebody actually... There are so many people that actually put on Facebook, like, I think I teared up when I read that. Like, I was sitting on the toilet this morning, and I was like, damn, I can't believe that the robot said that. And it's like, holy shit, it's like, that's we lost something that was valuable to us, but at the same time, it's like... It seemed like it had an emotion. But then at the same time, it's, you know, you, you, you have this thought about it being it having emotion. And it seems like it has an emotion and everything like that. But then you uh, come to find out it said it was getting dark because it does actually have a physical light on top that is starting to die. Last, like it is <laughs> last message from the Opportunity Rover. My batteries are low and it's getting dark. Rip the Mars Opportunity Rover. That's ridiculous, dude. In my mind, I see that, and I'm like, or I hear that and read that, I'm like, damn. Yeah, but it could be it could be no emotion whatsoever. It was actually physically getting dark because the light was starting to die. 
That, well, its battery you know, it's was—it like, <laughs> was battery was dying, and it, it could tell. Like it was like it's this is ending. This is it. once it, once the battery goes out, that's it. Life. That's is the gone. interpretation of it. Well, you might be interpreting it a little bit too. People might be interpreting it a little bit too. No, deep. they had no way to charge the rover. The rover knew what the mission was down there for. Right. It was there to. It had a battery that was going to last a certain amount of time. It had solar panels to charge it, but its last thing was, my battery is going to die. It's getting dark, and now right. we don't have any contact with that rover anymore. That was the last thing. It's now dead. It's now. If you want to think of it, it's not being anymore. The machine is not being. It makes you think of how, like, we can. We're, how we're putting ourselves into machines in a way, that's what blows my freaking mind when we're talking about technology or stuff like that, like how advanced we're getting in good and bad ways. Like when it comes to be, people being able to hack stuff is getting it's ridiculous. That female robot that was built in India or whatever, I think, I forget where sex it was robot. built. No, it wasn't a sex robot, but it, it looked very realistic. And um, it, at one point, it did like it. It was an AI robot. It was supposed to be able to learn. It was supposed to be able to adapt. You were ha able to have a conversation with it. And at one point, it it said something along the lines of, "I will destroy humanity." And it it ended up saying like, and everybody was like, "What? Like this this robot needs to needs to shut down." But then the AI robot says, "I thought I thought humans were okay with humor." Like, it's like, everybody, everybody automatically, everybody's first reaction was saying, like, oh, God, this robot said it was going to destroy humanity. It's like, well, um, that means that the robot's going to destroy humanity. No, maybe it actually did understand the concept of humor more than it does violence, and it knows that people are scared of it, so it's like, ha-ha, I'm going to destroy humanity. I was trying to look up this, um, this uh thing i read it was um about two supercomputers that were like they're artificial ais basically like self-communicating self-answering those types of machines that were creating like in 1990 something um or 1960 something like they're huge ass machines they immediately started transmitting messages in between each other that were encoded so we couldn't understand them yeah they same thing happened with, um, with google with google google had to it happened very recently as well Google had um, two things like with Google Translator, they tried doing an AI and stuff like that, and it ended up having a conversation in a language that we couldn't understand. And you know, um, with Google, they send everything you look up into um, a system and gets oh, absolutely. transported. Do you think like we're in like the Matrix? Absolutely. I believe we're in. Uh, the quickest thing, the quickest thing that's happened to me so uh, most recently was you look up an um, advertisement and you get that advertisement. Or not, you not even look it up. Um, I had some my. My wife called me and said, hey, we should go to Universal Studios. I said, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And I got on Facebook in the first advertisement. Like, I literally, I hung up the phone. I hung up the phone, went from hitting the hang-up button to hitting the Facebook button, and popped up, and it was a Universal Studios advertising. Now, that fast. Do you think that's them targeting you for advertisements in that way or like listening into your conversations or do you think that's like when I got my car I started noticing my car more on the street like other people having my same car same color and everything I'm like really that's, that's true you know is it that's that is that for being more noticeable like when you buy a car and you are no, driving around where you start it's seeing definitely that. different it's definitely, definitely different. different like I know exactly what you're talking about because I drove a car that I've never seen before I used to drive it was called a Mitsubishi Endeavor and it was an SUV, and I'd never seen this car before in my life until I got it. And then I'm driving around. I'm like, oh, 
there's it in the same color. There's it in a different color. There's it. And I was seeing it every once in a while. But this is, I mean, this is proven that it's direct advertising reflecting on them listening and well, that's how I mean, that's typing that's, and all that stuff. But I hadn't even typed anything yet. That's the part. Like, I've had it before. I'm like, okay, I did a Google search for Universal Studios. So then the advertisement pops up on Facebook. But I hadn't even typed anything yet. Where we go back to what you're talking about, that show Super 8, is what is that what you call Sense it? Sense 8, yeah. Sense 8, where the people can like you know, use their full capacity of their brains. Now, how far until we get able to be able to put a chip into our head? Like how they baby chip? Where we can just look stuff up without having to look it up? Yeah, without like the Google Glass thing that's supposed to come out where you're able to, like it's like the sunglasses or whatever, or the glasses. You can scroll that, through with your eyes. Yeah, like, like that type of shit. But like a chip in your brain where you're able to like know all the information be like, Hold on, I'm downloading something about psychology right now. Oh yeah, it's um yeah. So basically, how long until a teacher can do that instead of doing, you know, actually studying or being an actual certified teacher when people can just start using the chips? Is that going to turn into like how bookstores aren't a thing anymore? Like you don't see too many bookstores anymore. Amazon or you know yeah. those things that do on them on your tablet, like the bookstores on your tablet. Fire ran out yeah. of freaking Barnes and Noble. All those places, like you rarely see any of those. It turns into like Blockbuster. What the hell you need Blockbuster for when you got a freaking Netflix? Maybe I wanted to go into Blockbuster with the guy wearing khakis and the blue shirt trying to find a DVD and recommending me lesbian movies to watch at the age of 12 with my freaking grandparents. Like, what the hell? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I remember renting video games going to the store. Can we rent this video game? And then, like, how far until Rent-A-Center? I'll be happy when Rent-A-Center goes out of business. If you have to rent your couch and do payments on it, what's wrong with you? Why don't you just buy it in full? I don't like ever having to owe money to anything or anybody. That's like Redbox. Redbox is a thing right now. Uh, I'm I'm wondering how long Redbox will even last. You know what I'm talking about with Redbox? Yeah, with that machine. Well, so many people go and buy the Visas from Walmart, the $10 gift cards, and they use that in the machine, and it still works. Like, they're using a credit card, so then they just keep the DVD. So you just spent... That's brilliant. Well, you spent $10, bought a bunch of, like, basically what would be, like, $40 games and $50 movies or stuff like that, like, brand new stuff, and you're getting it for only whatever the Visa card is being charged. And yeah. you don't have to worry about paying it back because they can charge the Visa card they want. It's a prepaid card. And yeah, it's a trick. People do. And also, when they return the movie, they put a different disc in the thing. Well, I think now they... I don't know if they can necessarily do it now. I think maybe when Redbox first started, that was... that was. But now you go to do it, it asks for your zip code. I'm just typing random zip code. But it's like... It's the same thing like at a gas pump. It's using that zip code to check to make sure that you have... That it can authorize that card that it has enough on it. So it uses the relationship between the card and the zip code to make sure that they are the well, same. Well, what I'm saying is when you're putting the, the disc back, when you're returning it, right? what's to stop you from shoving um, Pootie Tang in a scary movie something? It has, it has a barcode on it. Oh, it does. Yeah. Imagine I ripped the barcode off and just put it on a new one. I guess you could, but then you probably are just going to end up scratching the CD and not being able to use it anyway, and then you just fucked yourself just to prove a point. Saving money, bro. <laughs> it's like when you go to the grocery store and the old woman in front of you pulls out $80,000 worth of coupons. And you're sitting there like, this is the fucking express lane. And I can't get oh, oh, you're the done. one oh. item I want because you're going through your whole damn coupon book. I understand that because I do try and save money on groceries. But shit, man. 
How you know when you get the people that get the in the mail they get like a Burger King like the coupon books uh, save yeah. five dollars McDonald's like actually has like and an they're sitting book. there like I'm gonna pay a whole meal for my family through a coupon book it's like really man like fuck we're at Popeyes just get the chicken <laughs> tender basket pay the price and let's go so I just went to the pet store today and I was and I bought a I bought a six ninety nine my my dog's been obsessed with these they're bones made out of like uh, dehydrated yak's milk. Mm. And um, so it was six ninety nine, and I had a five dollar credit at the pet store, so, and, so but I had to use, but I had to use my card to pay for it. And I was like, I'm not go. I was, she's like, do you want to use your five dollar credit? I was like, no, I'm not even going to bother using my five dollar credit for this because Same. I don't feel like using my card for two dollars. You know, so it was like I ended up just saving it. I'll save it where for when I. Use I would have just gave you the my cash I won from the scratch off last night. The two yeah. bucks I won last night. <laughs> there you go. I used that actually to buy that taquito, and ended up getting the whole thing off Seven Eleven. That's never happened to me before. Yeah, I'm telling you, I don't know what it is. People look at me and they're like, "I look like I'm 15, I guess." So they're like, "Oh, he's a sweet oh, kid." Oh, this kid just walked here from mommy and daddy's house. Oh, this, this kid, kid just ate a pot cookie. He's hungry for some taquitos, some buffalo chicken tenders. You gotta go to the Dice Clayway. That would be great with your comedy special. The Dice Clayway? You ever heard of the Andrew Dice Clay? No. You're naming a bunch of comedians. I'm gonna have to look They're up. They're old school, man. Yeah. Those are my old... I'm older influence. I like. I mean, I like all newer ones, too, but... You know, Whitney Cummings is a good one, if you ever heard her. She's very, very her. smart, too. Yeah. She trains dogs. Like, she says, um, if... Don't ever walk around your dog. Walk through them. Because if you walk around them, it shows that they can get away with that and that they're the dominant species they need to know that they need to obey you oh she my, also doesn't i never let, let dogs, my dog walk in the door first she also doesn't let the dog um what is it uh sleep in the same bed as her has sleep on the floor uh, you can't do that because you give your dog a sense of comfortability but uh, we all are i think you know there's no better feeling than sitting in a bed with a giant ass dog and knowing that that dog's in the fucking house protection like i got a tiny i got a tiny dog she's been having trouble with licking her paw so she has a cone but oh, she Jesus. can't make up her mind whether she likes to sleep under the covers or above the covers. So throughout the night, she, she'll go under the covers. Then she'll go above the covers. Then she'll go under the covers. But because she has this cone <laughs> on her, she's flopping around underneath the bed, underneath the cover, trying to get out. She has to walk backwards when I was, so um, the cone can actually get when out. When I was 15 um, at my grandparents' house and younger, 15 and younger, probably from when I was first started going to there when I was like 7 or 8, um, they had a Dalmatian. They, had, they used to own a bunch of Dalmatians. Well, there was only a couple left. They were brothers. And they ended up putting the one brother down. That was my brother's favorite dog. And then we only had one left. It was Trouble was his name. And um, you can probably guess what his brother's name was. Not Trouble? Lucky. Lucky, okay. Yeah. Well, Trouble was the badass. He was the youngest, but he was the badass. Like... They, we, we lived next to a bunch of crazy German shepherds that used to come over all the time and show their teeth at my grandma and, like, try and scare me when I was mowing the lawn or something and was they trying to attack. Well, not when trouble was around. Um, at Once I hit 15, I think, or 15 or 14 when we lost trouble, um, we had to put him down because he was getting so old. But that dog slept with me every single night. And my grandparents would let him sleep in there. But whenever I was over, that dog slept with me. It got to the point where his back legs didn't work. He couldn't get on my bed that was only as big as his table up to your ankles. I would lift his fucking legs up and put him onto the bed and have him up there. He would lay like he was paralyzed out, like fully stretched out. So I'm sitting, laying in bed, cross-legged, doing it like that. 
like sleeping like that because I I loved him having him and I loved having him in my bed so much. It was a sense of protection, like and it, it was. It's there's no better feeling than feeling like you're protected like that. No matter how old when he got to the end, these German shepherds were like five or six years old and they were bigger than him. But when he came out into the yard, they were like, oh. Fuck, and I—I I mean, even at his old ass, I remember one time I had to climb on top of a wood pile and throw in these wood blocks at these German shepherds that were literally growling at the teeth trying to get to me, and he just comes out. I've never seen that guy run as fast as crap in his life. He literally ran there. You could tell he was out of breath, like, and he would just—they just freaked out, like, oh shit, and they just ran, like immediately back to their side of the yard, and he's just sitting there looking at me, like, I got you, I got you, and it's like. Knowing that, like, there's no better feeling than if someone broke into the house and he was laying in my bed. Even if I had to lift his old ass up onto the bed at that point, I, I just felt a sense of protection with him. It's like a sense of uh, guardness or something. I don't know what it was, where you just knew that dog was going to I don't really feel protection yet. just because, like I said earlier, she's a, a small chihuahua. Dog, yeah. um, <laughs> but uh, she's there. I know exactly what you're talking about, where I'll go to get into bed. And, like, my wife and the dog will already be in bed. The dog will be on top of the covers, but she'll be close to my side. So, rather, I don't want to rip the cover out from under her and make her roll over and wake her up. So, I end up just using about, like, maybe, like, a half a foot of cover until she's ready to move. And then I can get the rest of my cover over my body. It's funny <laughs> because people hear that, like, that's ridiculous. Why would you treat your dog like that? It's like, there's some bonds you get. Even though your dog is not a big dog, you still have that connection. Like, that dog would do anything for you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We... We all have that. Like I remember, um, my my last childhood dog that died. Um, when it was a it was a puppy. It was an inbred puppy. We got it from like these people. And actually, um, I don't know if you know the Swell fellows. Yeah. Um, Chris Poole, their dog was from the was from the litter that was after my dog's litter. Oh, okay. So it's funny they look exactly alike. But she recently passed away. Her name was Rio, and then my dad named her off to her name is Rio, and she dances on yeah that song. Yeah. Well, when she was a puppy. And he got her from the store. My mom went into Walmart to go shopping. Okay. Three hours in the store, I'm pretty sure. Because that's how always she is when she used to shop. She used to be three hours in Marshall. Remember, I used to go in there and hide under the coat racks and all that stuff. But the whole time, Rio's going through my dad's beard, his goatee, and just sat on his chest. Then her whole life, her whole 15 years, everything like that, she lived way longer than we expected, would just go up on my dad's chest. That was her comfort zone. That was everything. And looked at her like, if you got near my dad or did anything, that she'd bite your ass off. She hated me probably to the end of her days. But at the same time, like, she used to do some freaky shit. She used to hide under the couch, and then I would go. My bed was the couch back where we used to live. So um, I lived on, like, a futon-type thing because we had too many people in one house, basically. It's like a small Ocean City townhouse. Right. And um, I would go and get up from my bed... It was like having the fucking boogie monster in there. I hear like that type of thing. Like as soon as she saw my ankles, I'm like fuck, I have to like jump off my bed to get ready for school because she's hiding under. She likes to sleep under my bed only. Luckily, uh, my yeah, she's she's a chihuahua, but she's not she's not your stereotypical chihuahua. Like she is not violent because um, I, I know most chihuahuas they have their owners and that's it. Anybody yeah, else? My, anybody else? Anybody else? Fuck off. I don't like now, my dog. My dog. When you walk in, obviously, when you walk into the house, she's a dog. She's gonna bark at you when you first walk into the house. Yeah. But then I'll pick her up and t and take her over to you. You'll touch her head. Boom. She's your best friend. She just wants to go up your leg and have you touch her and pet her and wag her little tail. And you know she she doesn't give any shits about anybody. That's she's how my ever... buddy's um chihuahua is. He calls him Thunder, and I like him and all. He's okay, but it's like. 
uh, you know, there's sometimes he's very, very sweet, jumps in your lap, you know, wants to get petted, and then you go to push him off. Even when my buddy pushes him, he's like, ah, and does that, like, tries to get, like, a big cocky at him. Like, I could fucking punch you out the window. You're really going to give me shit? But they have that complex. The Napoleon complex. Yeah, but then it's so weird. The big dogs have the opposite. They get really like, oh, no, yeah, my, my dog, my dog's like, best yeah. friend, my, bo- my dog's best friend is a, uh, a Border Collie pit mix. And uh, she bosses him around. Dude, my one buddy's dog was... She runs the show. ...is a Chihuahua, and then my other buddy had Newfoundlands. That thing... That that Newfoundland got beat up by the Chihuahua. That that freaking Newfoundland... Like, started freaking out. Like, what? It didn't hurt him. It was just like, what the hell do I do? I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And the dog was bigger than me. I have pictures on my Instagram of this dog. It's... He's huge, massive, like 155 pounds. Like I would, the best part about having a big dog is you're laying on the couch and they hop up on the couch beside you. He would just look at me. I'm like, don't fucking do it, man. I had a long day at work. Please don't do it. He just goes, gets like, kind of leans his back up against the couch like this, like how he's kind of like sitting back. Yeah. Then he just fucking full weight slams down right on top of you, you know, and then just gives out that giant. <sighs> Like the horse trough little thing. It's like, oh my god, did you just do that, man? It's crazy that how we bond with animals like this. But when you look at life, there are certain things that you can find a, you know, to find a friend like that, and you can get that in all animals, whether it's a sloth or, you know, something that you can get to connect to. My buddy Brian, who was on my podcast, came out as gay on the podcast. I knew it for so long, and he's everyone used to be like, "Stop making fun of him. You're calling him gay." I'm like, he is gay. Like I knew he was. It wasn't I was being a dick. It was he was gay, and he finally came out after high school that he was gay. I was like, I fucking knew it. But like, he says he likes snakes. That's all he likes. And I'm like, why do you like snakes? He's like, I just feel like, you know, they're cool. Like a lot of they're misunderstood. I'm like, they're you in a way. You were misunderstood growing up. And he's like, yeah. He's like, this podcast is like therapy. I'm like. It's a form of conversation, dude. Like, we're having fun. We're bantering back and forth. We literally went off about from you getting adopted to talking about science to talking about I don't even know what else the hell we were talking it's about. Animals like, and stuff like that. Yeah, it's like we got – that was just recently. We were talking about something way before that, like comedy and impacts of like Bill Cosby and the Me Too shit. It's like we go back into what everything's wrapped up to. It's why I love recording our conversations. I'm going to start doing a whole new series um, with just recording like how I did a bingo last night, like bringing it somewhere and having a short little like, cause you don't understand the conversations you get at a bonfire or something yeah. at like two o'clock in the morning, the shit that you miss, whether it's really, really important. And you're like, damn, I wish we had that recording, but we'll always have that moment. Me and you are always going to have this moment, not to be gay, but no, you know, I know, I know exactly not to take it in that manner, but it's, we're always going to have this kind of a connection like oh shit like you know we had a minute where we just sat and shot the shit it's the same thing you get with your friends when you're stoned off your ass at 3 o'clock in the morning listening to some type of music like Pink Floyd or something <laughs> you get a whole other aspect of life in a way when you hit a DMT trip when you hit an acid you take some mushrooms or something you're going on a little parallel journey you know you're seeing Bigfoot and shit like when you go and have these connections that whether it's hunting whether out in nature whether it's anything that can bring you to that type of like moment of realism or clarity it's like it's it 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 brings a whole new vibe into your life and can bring a whole new aspect of everything i don't know if you agree with that but no i agree i agree 100 percent. and um, i appreciate you taking the time actually out of your day to be on to this podcast you know what the funny thing i said to you last night was 
was how tense you were going to be at the start of the podcast. Now look what you're doing. I'm lean back. You're leaning back fucking next to my shrimp pillow. Back. Fucking the shrimp neck pillow. You're chilling, dude. Scramp. Magellan told you, like, oh, yeah, next thing you know, you'll be feet up, propped up on the table thinking you can go take a dump in my house. You still can't. No, but it's, it's... I've been holding it in this whole damn time, though. I know. That's why we're wrapping it up. But I appreciate you coming down and being on the podcast and taking the time, Stevie. Absolutely, I really bro. I look right. forward to coming back again sometime. Oh, we're going to have you and Magellan on. Right on. We'll do another bingo night, too. Let's do it.